that all I need life. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Kevin Clem giving another intro to the episode. Uh, before we dive into this week's episode, I just want to mention a few things we got going on. Uh, this weekend, June 30th and July 1st, we're uh, going to be at Narragansett Beer is Made on Honor Market. Uh, it's going to be from noon to 6 p.m. both days uh, at Pilot Works in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, just come say hi and check out all the cool stuff that's going to be going on. A lot of music, beer, we'll have some skateboards, stuff like that. It'll be a really fun day to check out. Um, also, if you're on YouTube, head over to youtube.com slash skate and enter our sock giveaway. All you got to do is like the video, subscribe to the channel, and comment your favorite dog type. Uh, we're going to be giving away three pairs of socks on uh, July 18th, 2018. Um, also, don't forget to check out allineedskate.com. This is basically the hub where we post all our videos, podcasts, skateboards, apparel, really everything. And uh, also be sure to check out All I Need Skate on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, and also mark your calendars for the All I Need Fall Brawl, which is going to be Saturday, September 8th at the Edge Indoor Skate Park. The divisions are going to be 14 and under, 15 and over, and a ladies' jam. This week we sat down with legendary skate photographer Dave Swift. Uh, we talked about his career at Transworld, leaving Transworld to help start the skateboard mag, uh, shooting Heath Kerchart's slip slide down El Toro, the transition from magazines to online media, and much more. Uh, it's a really sick episode. I think you guys are going to enjoy it a lot. Dave had a lot of cool stories, and he's met a lot of really legendary people over the years, so I think it's definitely an episode you're all going to love to hear. I just love the skating and the scene. Rain, rain, go away. All I need is a skateboard today. Board today. Board today. This is the Shetler Show featuring professional skateboarder, podcaster, and All I Need Skate founder, Anthony Shetler. So everyone was, it was hot. Everyone was doing it. Yeah, they're looking for their dad's fucking metal skateboards in the garage. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Get on this thing. <laughs> Each episode brings you amazing discussions with interesting people from all walks of life. Kind of when skateboarding clicked for me and you learn some tricks or whatever and you get that appreciation from your peers, you know, the other skaters are like, holy shit, like, yeah, dude, that's rad. Admiration. Yeah, yeah the admiration or the, the affirmation. Real. Recognize real. If I didn't experience those crazy moments in my life, then these great moments would never be as great as they have been. Honestly, like for me, I just loved it. Like I saw those dudes, I saw those videos, and I was like, holy fuck, this is sick. Yeah. This is what I want to do. Dude, we met, we met a long time ago, huh? Like 2008? Four? Four? Yeah, even earlier. Yeah, cause it was, it was when, uh, Seamus was out here doing the birdhouse thing. I think we went to Tucson or something? Yeah, we did. It was sick. One of my best One day trips. road trip to Tucson? <laughs> we did that a lot cause we had the van with birdhouse. They just had the 16 passenger and we had the gas car, so it was like, time to do it, you know? Yeah, it was, it was great that time because it was, you guys picked me up at like 6 in the morning or something. We drove out to that hubba for for Brian to get that Switch 185 Oh, was that at a church, that one? I don't know if it was at a church, I can't remember what it was at, but he just thought it was what he wanted to do, and so we got all got the van, and Klein was with us, which was even weirder. Yeah, definitely, because he dragged him out of the office. 
Yeah, and he actually 50 50 that thing. Oh, yeah, dude, which is gnarly to think about. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Did you butt slide that day? Um, I want to say I tried. Maybe I landed it, maybe not. Yeah, I can't remember either. I know I have a photo of you butt sliding it. Oh, sick. Um, oh, no, I did. You know what? It was the one with the piece of wood, too, right? Yeah. Was Susky there that day? I don't know if Aaron was there, but Nesser was there. Oh, yeah. How good is Nesser? It's fucked up. <laughs> I miss that guy. I haven't seen him in a long time. When was the last time you seen him? Then? Maybe four or five years ago. I think he came by the magazine when we were still in, slot, or in Carlsbad. Nice. Well, let's officially get it going at the top, because I, I want to know how you got into skateboarding, or why why skateboarding? Why skateboarding? Because uh, you could have played soccer or something else. <laughs> I played baseball and maybe some football, and I was terrible at basketball, but um, 1977, whoa, um, I think a lot of people were just skateboarding, and some skate parks opened up kind of close to where I grew up, you know, in San Diego. And so I really wanted to check one out. Like, oh, that's cool. You know, and the other thing was there was a ditch right behind my house, my parents' house. And I was noticing, like, these long hairs were, like, out skating it all the time. Nice. Long hairs. <laughs> Damn long hairs. And I was like, wow, I don't want to do that. But my parents were like, no way, you can't skateboard. You won't be able to play baseball if you those things are dangerous, so... They're right. They're fucking right, Dave. Maybe. <laughs> but it took me a while to get hurt. Um, no, it actually didn't take me a while. So I, I ended up just, like... I don't know, finagling my way to get a skateboard behind it for my parents. Nice. You know? And then uh, one day I was riding down, down this hill home, and uh, my wheel fell off. And I smacked my head real good and got a concussion. Gnarly. How old are we? Uh, 13? Damn, that's when I started too, like 13-ish. Yeah, and I, I couldn't hide it from my parents because I was like kind of dizzy and crazy. So I told them like, yeah, I got a skateboarding. And, You're not supposed to be doing that. But then they just kind of like laid off and I really started skateboarding after that. So why why do you like... The concussion got me really into skateboarding. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so so what, like skateboarding just stuck then? So you're over bat football and you said you sucked at basketball. What about baseball? I was pretty good at baseball. That was what my, my mom and dad were like really like, you know, my dad coached and my mom kept score and did all that stuff. Now that was kind of like their, I was, I'm the youngest of four boys. So, you know, it was like the one time that they were like doing that kind of stuff. They were that involved. And, uh, so when I stopped doing it, which was 78, they were a little like, oh man, what are we, they were, they were bummed. They weren't, they weren't happy about it, but. They wanted you to be the next Cal Rifkin, dude. Somebody, yeah, it would have been Cal, Tony Gwynn. <laughs> oh yeah, Tony, guys, remember Ken Griffey, that would have been me. Remember Ken Griffey Jr., he was nice too. Yeah. What position do you play? Um, pitcher, catcher, third base. I respect it. I like being the catcher. Yeah. Didn't like wearing the cut, but... No. That thing was uncomfortable, but I did something a couple times. I liked catcher because you're in the game, you know? It was like one big yeah, game of catch. Time. Yeah, that was it. And that's like something about skateboarding I like, is you don't have to like take turns, you can just go, you know? And if somebody else is going, you can, get the, you can just snake them. Yeah. I do. I do that all the time. It's my favorite thing. I agree with you on the... Uh, 
being in the game because I was a bit ADD. You know, so if I was playing outfield or somewhere where nothing was happening, I'd be like kicking the grass or you know, looking up in the air, you know, like not paying a lot of attention. But like if I was pitching or catching, I was always into it, you know, and you had some sense of control of what was going on, you know, so that was kind of good for me. Yeah, no, I agree, man. And I was the same way. I was like, I wanted to be more engaged, and it seemed like you just had to hurry up and wait and a lot of times or, like, take the back seat, and it's, like, it's fun and stuff. I get you got to cooperate and have a team and stuff, but something about just having something that's yours, you know, like your own style of skating or something you work on that is some, your own creation, you know? Yeah, I didn't know that at the time, but that's kind of how it worked out. Did you have anyone? Were... Tried... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I tried surfing, you know, around the same time, because, again, Southern California, that's what people did out here, and, like, I remember going surfing and, like, going out in the water and, like, waiting, and, like, dealing with people that were around you, you know, like, and, and just, like, and actually getting yelled at by, like, older guys, and, like, to me, it was just like, what, I can't, this is just too much, so the minute I went to skateboarding, it was like, oh, I can kind of control what I'm going to do. And, you know, at the time, actually, I think I just kind of fast-forwarded two years because I, I got into skateboarding in 77. Yeah. yeah. And then kind of, I did it for like a year, and then my skateboard got stolen. You know, so, and I, so that was when I was in ninth grade. And so, which is high school out here. And so when it got stolen, I was kind of like, oh, I'm over it, you know, like, I'm not going to skate anymore. And so for almost a year and a half, I didn't skate. And uh, in that year and a half, a lot of skate parks closed down. And so that, then I tried surfing around that time. And I just it wasn't into it, so I went back to skating. And then when I went to Del Mar Skate Ranch in 1980 was when, you know, if you were at the skate park, there might have been one or two other dudes that skated in the skate park. That was it. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, because you're in the Mecca, like, Southern California, and, like, being someone on the East Coast, I always assume, like, skating's huge there forever, but it's died out and stuff, huh? Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it was as dead as you could get, you know? And San Diego, being a pretty big city, you know, once Del Mar was the only skate park, you know, not, like, you would get, like, on the weekends, like, 10 or 15 people from all around San Diego would come up to skate. You know? Yeah. Or there was a couple of pros like Billy Ruff and uh, this guy, Gator. You might have heard of Gator. Yeah, Gator's gnarly. Gator's gnarly, though. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Tony Hawk, that's where I kind of met him, too, around the same time. In skateboarding, there's no one skating, and Tony Hawk's out there, but he's not Tony Hawk at this time, I'm assuming. No, he's pretty good, though. Yeah. yeah. Nice. For, for a little, like, four-foot-five kid, you know, but you could tell he was going to be something. Yeah. yeah so that's when I got, like, really, really got into skateboarding was 1980. Yeah, that's rad. And, and uh, so surfing's out. That's fine. I kind of did the same thing. I like surfing, but, like, I don't know. Skateboarding. There's something about skateboarding. I like skateboarding more. Um, <laughs> how, so did you know about the industry or anything, or how did you find out about, like, skate brands and skate shops? And I know you saw the skate park, so... Um, I think just like kind of being an outsider, even though we were, in, you know, within the midst of the skateboard industry in the late 70s and early 80s, like, I spent a lot of time when I wasn't at the skate park 
down at the grocery store because that would we'd hang out at this little place in this, this courtyard. And the, the store had Skateboarder Magazine. You know, so we'd either go in there and just sit around and look at it all day or steal it or whatever. So I think most of it came from Skateboarder Magazine, like just seeing it and being like, whoa, this is cool, looking at photos, seeing all the ads, you know, kind of like that was our skateboarding media, like how we kind of like, oh, that's what people do. Not having any clue of how they got into those positions skating or whatever, like you're just like, oh, that's we got to learn that, you know? Yeah, it just pulls you in. And Skateboarder was always one of my favorite magazines. It was, like, just yeah. clean. It, they, it was clean, and they always had, like, different photos. Or I really liked how they ran their magazine. Yeah, it was a good thing for us. So, did you get a camera young, too, or just the skateboarders then? Photography? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, as much as I looked at photos back then... I didn't, no, because my parents wouldn't buy me anything like that. Like, they just thought I'd just lose it or get stolen. Or <laughs> it's like, what do you want a camera for? Um, I did end up, in 1984, I was going to junior college, because that was kind of one of the stipulations to live at home, was I had to go take classes at a junior college. And I had a job, but it was part-time. And uh, so one of the things I wanted to do, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll take a photo class. And... My brother had a camera, like a Minolta camera, and so I borrowed that um, and got about a semester in, and it was in the front seat of my car when I was at work, and it got stolen. <laughs> Again, dude. Skateboard, <laughs> camera. <laughs> I had to pay him back 200 bucks or something. And, you know, I couldn't get another camera. Couldn't, you know, I was like, all right, I guess that's over. You know, dropped out of the class and Never thought much about, like, photography or anything. And I did shoot some skateboarding on that camera. You know, that, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but, like, there was a contest at, in Palmdale, California, called the Great Desert Ramp Hunt, or Great Desert Ramp Contest or something. And it was the first time there had been a, skate, a, a ramp contest. And I was there because I got a ride with somebody. And I just sat by the side of the ramp and shot photos of, like, Neil Blender, Steve Caballero, Mickey Alba, Mike McGill. Heavy. You know, because you could get right up next to it. Because, again, there was nobody there other than the people skating in the contest and maybe 25 spectators, you know? <laughs> Sick. And so I have this one photo of Stevie Caballero doing a fakie foot plant over the channel. And, like, it's to me, it's kind of good. I don't have the negatives or anything, but I always tell people, oh, this is my first skateboard photo, you know? Like, if I ever show, like, oh, here, this is the first skateboard photo I ever took. And, I, you know, it's this big. Like, that's how big the print is. Yeah. And I don't have a negative or anything. But, and, but it's pretty cool that, like, that actually is where I kind of got started. Even yeah. though it took me another seven or eight years to get back to taking photos, that was the beginning. <laughs> Yeah, that's a heavy beginning, dude. All those guys are killers. That's a, yeah. that's like a dream murderer's row of the first time shooting. <laughs> that's crazy, man. And uh, so you're skating, you're shooting some photos, you're meeting people. How do you work your way into... Well, actually, what jobs have you worked besides skateboarding jobs? Paperboy. Solid. <laughs> um... Me too. Vaughn's, gro Vaughn's Grocery Company, I was a bagger. Nice, you look like a bagger. Yeah. 
they weren't. They wanted to bag me. <laughs> uh, I used to do a lot. I used to sleep in my car a lot when I was doing that job. Really? Why? Just tired? Yeah, because again, that was right after I got out of high school and I had a car and like skating was like the big thing for me and the social life from skating was like you'd go out after skating and hang out at the Denny's and whatever till like three in the morning. So then I had to work at eight o'clock in the morning. Nobody else I knew had to work. But, so I would go and work, and then be four or five hour shifts, and so about two or three hours in, I'd start getting sleepy, and luckily, uh, we had to go out and get carts, you know, like the carts that they push the groceries in, and I'd stack like 20 on a line, get them all in real quick, because we did it for an hour, and then I would just go to my car, because all the carts were cleaned up, and i just <laughs> fall asleep in my car. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and go back in, and like, yeah, I'm done with carts. So. Just take a nap, like an extra long break. Yeah, no big deal. That's I was union. Nice. <laughs> Were you ever? Did you ever try to get sponsored for skateboarding? I was sponsored, but for skateboarding. Okay, who did you start with? Uh, the first sponsor was Goldwing Trucks. You went for Goldwing? Yeah. Wow, that's pretty heavy. Good for you. Um. Then it was Schmidt Sticks Skateboards. Yeah. Hell yeah. And then I kind of, like, dropped going and started riding for Independent, like, I don't know, 87, 88. And then in 1989, right before I got the job, or no, it was, like, it was late 89, so I was already working at Transworld, but uh, Schmidt Sticks turned into New Deal. New Deal was so sick. I love New Deal. Yeah. But they didn't take... All the old Schmidt Sticks riders. <laughs> so I was 86. Huh. Uh, um, and, and I ended up riding for Santa Cruz, which was cool because, again, that was one of the, my favorite companies at the time. Wow, that's sick. So I rode for Santa Cruz for like another year. Is there a sponsor me tape out there somewhere? Did someone digitize that and put it on the internet? There's no sponsor me tape. <laughs> Damn it. I would have loved that. So there's some footage on the Del Mar Skate Ranch website. Of a contest run of mine. Sick. That's rad. So, so, what was that like, riding for bowling and stuff? Was it industry? Is it still... I mean, they had truck sponsors, you know? Like, there was some money. Did you travel and stuff? I um, traveled mostly in California. Um, like, to all the Castle and Aspo contests. Oh, some sick. of the NFA regional contests. They did stuff like that in the 80s. Um, mostly in California. And then, like, in the late 80s, like when it was ransom, like I got to go to Mobile, Alabama for a contest. That's strange. Uh, I That's... skated some contests in Europe one year. Right. Uh, but mostly in California. Wasn't, right. It wasn't as extensive as it became later. Yeah. And so, where did photography take over? Because when I met you, you're shoot, you're skating, obviously, but you're just shooting tons of photos and doing stuff and. You've worked for Transworld, and I know you you got you were part of the beginning of the skateboard mag, and so where did when did skate when did photography really pull you in and not skating? You know, that's an easy one. Uh, <laughs> when I got the job at Transworld, which was basically I, I spent six weeks in Europe with some friends. Do you remember like the guys at Flip, um, Ian Deacon? Yep. Yep. Well, me and a friend of mine went and stayed with him in Brighton. Nice. So that's England, and then 
we would go from his house to like different parts of Europe, you know, like we'd just take off for like a week or two and just go to different like Munster or Denmark or wherever. And so that was the summer of 88. And I knew that when I came back from that, that I kind of had to put skateboarding like on hold. Like I got, I had to kind of like get serious about doing something besides just being a skateboard, skateboarder. Why though? Was, Don't say that. Well, because there was no money and it wasn't like, <laughs> Damn it. You know, I had to grow up, I suppose. Not that I wanted to. You know, I didn't want to grow up. I wanted to fucking skate my whole life, but... You consider yourself grown up right now? No. I didn't either. I don't either. (laughs) Which is good. That's later. That comes later. The whole story about how I didn't have to grow up. (laughs) So, yeah, I got back in, like, September of 1988, and my parents were like, well, you know, you need to get get a real job or kind of start doing something because, like, the skate thing, you can't just keep doing it, like... I was like, well, why not? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, of course I can. But no, I couldn't. And I took a job at a coffee shop just for a little while. And I was enrolling in school and trying to, like, do more of the serious school stuff. But a friend of mine, and he was working at Transworld at the time, Todd Swank. Hell yeah, legendary. Um, he was quitting working at Transworld to do what I think the foundation of the skateboard company. Tomietto, right? All of that? Yeah. And he goes, you should try, you should apply there and maybe they'll give you a job. And I was like, maybe. And so I had this friend of mine fill out, make a resume for, resume for me. And just like, oh, he does this, he's done these things. and Whatever, I already knew some of the people there, so it was like, what was the resume going to prove? But the editor didn't really know me. And that's who I gave the resume to. So he was like looking at it like, oh, this guy sounds sick. And he mentioned it to Grant, like, Britain. He was like, hey, do you know this guy, Dave Swift? He's applying for this job here. Like, I looked at his resume. It looks pretty good. And Grant was like, whoa, wait, what? Dave Swift? That guy's a troublemaker. <laughs> yeah, about right, bro. And he's like, really? Why? What do you mean? Like, I don't know what Grant said, but, like, basically was like, you know, when I went and got one. Next part of the interview, the guy told me, like, hey, you know, like, Grant said that you're a troublemaker. What do you think about that? And I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm grown up. <laughs> like, I'm not that guy. And uh, they ended up hiring me to be, like, an assistant editor. So I was there to transcribe interviews, maybe write some stuff, you know, kind of the boring stuff, like, in the office. And... After about two months of that, I was like, dude, I can't stay in here this whole time, you know, like, I, I need to figure out a way to get out and, like, be around skateboarding. Yeah, that's where I'd be, because you're like, you're like, I want to work, but I want to work at shooting skateboarding or skateboarding. <laughs> and, and I also wanted to skate, too, so I, well, I wasn't willing to just give that part up, and this was still at the time when street skating was pretty new as far as, like, taking over skateboarding, so vert skating was still pretty big, um... And I had a lot of friends that skated that stuff, and a lot of those friends were, like, kind of up-and-coming, like, pros, like Mike Yusufer, um, Danny Way, like, just different guys that were kind of, like, rising. And so I kind of, like, convinced Grant to let me borrow one of his old cameras. You know, he, so he set me up with a camera and a fisheye and some film and a couple of tips, and I would just take it and I'd go skating. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but what would that setup cost? Roughly. Four or five hundred bucks, maybe. 
It was good, Chunky Change. It was pretty worked. It was pretty beat up, but it was perfect for me. And then the film was free at Transworld, so what? all I do is figure it out, like, and get people to to shoot with me. And you know, I started. I made some mistakes and started learning how to compose and expose the film and the right shutter speed and all that stuff. And I think, and within six months, I was able to go on my first trip by myself. Damn. Which was across the United States. Like, we went from San Diego to San Jose, San Jose to New York, New York to Georgia, Georgia back to California. Sick. And it was just like a skate trip with me. Mike Eusper was one of them, and my friend Owen. And Mike ended up getting hurt, like, the second day of the trip. Because me and Owen convinced him that he could do a handrail. <laughs> it was a skate park in uh, Nebraska. And he sacked himself pretty good on his handrail. God damn it. <laughs> and his, I guess his balls blew up pretty big. <laughs> Tell me more. No, just kidding. <laughs> and he had to have a catheter. When we just went to the hospital, I'm like, are you going to be all right? Are you going to be able to fly home? And he's like, yeah, I'll fly home tomorrow. And then me and Owen just took off. Dude, I've been in that same situation with Mike Franklin. He tore his urethra. Mike Franklin. We were calling him Urethra Franklin the rest of the trip. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, same thing. Right Sacked the hand right, right on the taint, right? Yeah, yeah. Same thing, dude. Had to, He was hurting, bro. Catheter, everything. Brutal. We felt, we felt bad, but we had to go. <laughs> You'll figure out your dick, sir. <laughs> yeah. I think his dad took care of him. He got it all worked out. That's good. That's solid. Why did why, So, here's my question. Why did Grant say you're trouble and then lend you 500 bucks, bro? <laughs> Well, again, if you know Grant at all, like, he can be really kind of, um, like, where he's just kind of like, you kind of can be afraid of him. Like, he's like the, the older brother that's kind of like, can be mean to you. Nice. You know? And I don't think he's trying to be mean. Like, he's just like, this like, real stern, and like, real, like, you know, on point as far as like, this is what you should be doing. This is, this is what you shouldn't be doing, you know? So he was kind of like that guy. And I think, you know, from his experience with me at the Del Mar Skate Ranch, like, I'd sneak in, like, I'd do, I'd steal stuff, maybe. <laughs> do the kind of the stuff that, you know, a teenager would do at a, at a skate park if they're given this, this place where there really wasn't many rules, you know? And it was all dudes that you kind of knew, like, running the place, so you, kinda, you could sneak over the counter and grab a bag of chips, you know, or... Sneak in the back of your friends after the park's closed and get caught. Whatever. All those kinds of things I did. Yeah. And so that's where Grant thought, you know, figured I was a troublemaker. Which, he wasn't wrong. Yeah. So you're, you're a kid, though. I didn't blame, but when I started working there, you know, the, the people that were working there at the time, again, this is 1989, had been there for a while and just weren't really into what was going on. Like, they weren't, they didn't seem like they were into skateboarding anymore. They were wanting to move on and do other things. Um, so there wasn't much energy in there. And I kind of brought this renewed energy to the place. You know, somebody that really loved skating and was really wanting to learn about photography or just writing or kind of making a magazine that was cool for, like, you know, kids or whatever, for the, for the readers. Yeah, you need someone with so the, think, sp you need someone with a spark, for sure. If that spark goes yeah. out, it's, things die, you know? And that's, that's, to me, is what was going on when I was there in the beginning. You know, like, Gary Davis was still there. I don't know, GSD, you've heard of him? I haven't. 
again, the Misfits thing down there, but he was right. a pro skateboard for Tracker, but he was the art director, and he was, you know, if you met him, you're like, who's this homeless guy? <laughs> you know, but he was like the kind of the dude that was, also kind of held that torch as well. Like, he wasn't very outgoing. I was more outgoing and kind of willing to like charge at things and Grant, I think, ended up kind of liking that. But I had, again, I had known Grant for a long time before he made that comment. That, to me, that comment was kind of funny. Like, you know me and you never, you never said anything to me before. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, we hung out and then, but he was kind of like, I think he's just being honest with the guy that is the other boss that this guy might be trouble. <laughs> yeah, dude, watch out. If there's a chip machine, he's coming for him. <laughs> yeah. But we're stealing some shit. I, um, there's a skate park out here. Actually, tomorrow is the grand opening for the Framingham Skate Park, and we're going to be there. It's going to be pretty sick. But uh, they were telling me, because they built the park, and they're like, do you think we're going to have issue with graffiti? And I was like, well, I mean, kids use the skate park, so, like, kids make mistakes or do stupid stuff sometimes, you know, like, and then, uh, I guess some kid ended up doing it. They, like, he, like, spray-painted the park, and then they got mad, and they built, like, a wall so that people could graffiti it. They found a solution, you know? Yeah, they didn't get mad, but they found a solution, which I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, but I was like, yeah, of course, like, skate park is, like, you don't have any coaches, really. It kind of regulates itself to some degree, you know? Like, everyone who goes there that cares about it just kind of, like, talks to each other, you know? So, it's kind of... Shit happens, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the, that's what it's like. It's like the skaters are kind of like the police there. I mean, if somebody was spray painting the park that I skate now, I saw it. I'd be like, "Dude, what are you doing?" Yeah, that'd be kind of bummed. Like, I, I, I get it, but it's like I don't want to skate on your fucking shitty spray paint. <laughs> you ever been yeah. to a park where it's so slippery because of it? That's the worst. You know that park? There's a park down here, Memorial, where my like Eric Winkowski does a lot of stuff at. Yeah. It's like in the barrio, and like it's always spray painted or getting spray painted or getting you know always clean, dirty, clean, dirty. Like it's always looks different. But this one time I was going there to shoot somebody, go you know, do something over the channel. I can't remember who it was, but we get in there like these dudes are like just spray painting the bottom of the pool. You know, so it's all like super wet. We want to skate. Like you're getting high too, right? That shit. Yeah. <laughs> so you know we're like, dude, you gotta gonna get out, we gotta do this, you can come back later and spray paint all you want, but like, yeah, uh, it doesn't work for what we want to do right now, <laughs> and they were cool, you know, that's the one thing, if, they, if, if they're cool and respectful about, like, you tell them not to, because you, you know, it's, it makes sense, like, yeah, we don't want to skate on your fucking wet paint, come back and do it later, yeah, that's cool, but a lot of times those dudes aren't, so, yeah, gotta regulate them, what, uh, so, I was gonna ask you about trans world a little bit more, too, because, like, so, is it who's it owned by at this time? Like in the beginning, who 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 owns Transworld or own who started Trans? It was Tracker Trucks, so the guy that owned Tracker Trucks, Larry Balma. Oh, okay. Wow, that's the connection. I didn't know. Yeah, and he was like a, just like an older dude. Like, if you know anything about the '70s and early '80s skate industry, like most of the dudes that owned companies didn't skate. You know, they weren't skaters. They were just businessmen that saw this fad and like got into it. And, you know, like. Whether it was Indy Trucks or Santa Cruz or Tracker or Vision Skateboards or Sims Skateboards. Sims was probably one of the only ones that, like, the guy that owned it was a skater. Wow. Really? You know? Yeah. But he wasn't, like, 
a great skater or anything. He just, I mean, obviously he puts his name on the skateboard company. Tom Sim Skateboards. Like, yeah. he's got to be kind of a goon, but <laughs> they made a rad skateboard company. Anyways, these guys, you know, basically got to run the, the 80s with their skateboard companies. And they did a good job, you know I mean? It was, they did a lot for skateboarding back then. Yeah. I, I was born in 82, so... <laughs> oh, so you're graduated from high school. <laughs> oh, really? Sick. Yeah. I was being birthed at that time. I was, like, coming out of the womb. <laughs> what month? Uh, November. Scorpio. Oh, yeah, I, was, I was going to homecoming. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> Did you do good in school? No. Just over it? Terrible, but I just... From 10th grade on, I just didn't really care. I didn't push myself to do anything. You know, my parents... Like, Again, I was the youngest, so a little bit easier to get away with shit. You know, and especially, like, when I was a teenager, my mom went back to work. So then there was nobody home, you know, so it was just like, I don't know. I guess I'm not doing homework today. And I would just, and I, I lived, you know, 25 miles away from Del Mar. Nice. Which is pretty far for a kid, so I would just get home, run down the bus stop, get on the bus, take this bus for an hour, get to the skate park, skate for three hours maybe, and take the bus home at 7.30 at night. You're gnarly. And, and I'd get home at like 9.30 and just go to sleep, so it wasn't really a lot of time for homework. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to someone about skateboarding the other day, and I was like, it's funny how like you can look at skateboarding like as it can hurt you or it can help you. Like, you know, like some people let skateboarding like stunt them to the point where they just like give up everything or don't grow in other areas just so they can skateboard every second all the time, you know? Like, I've heard, isn't it Jason Jesse that says skateboarding ruined his life or something? Was it him? Might have. It sounds like him. I love skateboarding so much it ruined my life or something like that. What is that? Well, this quote was, I love skateboarding so much I want it to die. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, yeah. That's yeah. different. That's a little different then. <laughs> Which is a pretty great quote if you're looking at things nowadays where you'd be like, yeah, I do love it so much I'd like it to die. <laughs> what, back to the time when no one had it? When it's smaller? Well, I mean, it, I mean it's a whole other stuff. But it's like, it's hard to look at skateboarding now and go, oh, it's sick that all these people that don't give a shit about skateboarding are into it for some reason, you know? Like, yeah. Or the skateboard industry almost caters to these people that don't care about skateboarding just so they can make sales. Yeah. So it's all about money, which you can't blame people for wanting money, but, like, they'll go out of their way to make these people happy that are only going to be happy for, like, five minutes and then they're over it, you know? Yeah. They, and, they, and the people like us or whatever that are going to be in skateboarding for our whole lives aren't catered to at all because they already got us. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, uh, we're going to love skateboarding anyways, even though these fuckers are ruining it. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it gets weird. I agree, though. It gets weird when it's like about numbers more than it is about skating. Like skateboarding. Like, what did you say earlier? You said something earlier where it was like, oh, you weren't willing to give up the skating part. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that because, like, the reason why you want to shoot photos of skateboarding is because you love skateboarding. Like, the further, the more you don't skateboard, the more detached you are. You know, like, whenever I see people and they're doing pretty good, they're usually pretty sharp on their board too, and they've been skating a lot. I think because there's a truth in that. Like, you have to apply yourself to actually go skateboard. So you you learn the consequences and you sweat and you feel your heart and you're like really skating. You know, and then like. 
you know, when you see those companies go and they, they get buy, bought by someone and then it's just a bunch of jobs for people that don't skate and they're just like, they're making decisions about skateboarding and they don't ever really skate, you know, like that's heart, heartbreaking for sure, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I've been a lot of that. I mean, you know, good or bad, everyone look at it, like, the, the 90s to me were like, kind of like the, I don't know. Like this time, this great time of skateboarding where everything grew. Like it was just like you could do anything. Like, but again, it was in the beginning of the nineties. It was pretty like a small window of what you could do in skateboarding. What do you mean though? Well, like go from the eighties to the nineties. The eighties were all vert skating and like kind of like this colorful like peacocking time when like you know like I don't know. Like you know, the skate industry was run by non-skaters. The skaters, there was a, a like a, a big popularity, but it was like you know Christian and Tony and the you know the Bones Brigade were like the, the skaters that everybody knew about. But everybody was stoked, you know, like they're making you know if you think about you know Christian, maybe he was making a thousand dollars a month, you know. Yeah. That was like, whoa! Like, I'm done. I'm buying a house. You know, that was a big deal. And then it went from there to everybody was making nothing, you know, by '92 or '93, and so. The field of skateboarding was just street skating, you know, like white t-shirts, fucking bag pants, like, this is what you, this is what a skateboard looks like. And, you know, for a lot of people from earlier generation that were still in skateboarding, we're kind of like, dude, that sucks, man, small wheels suck, and, you know, all this change sucks, and to me it was like this really good thing that cleaned out this old part of skateboarding that was stuck, you know, and refreshed it into like, this movement that was going to just grow, you know, and it, and it could be ours. Like, it was totally ours. Yeah. Like, no, no, no outsiders knew anything about skateboarding, you know, like, record, I remember working at the magazine at Transworld, and like, all these companies were interested in skateboarding that were outside of skateboarding, you know, music companies, fucking, uh, video game companies, just like, what, what skate, how do we get involved in skateboarding? And we'd be like, well, you just give money, and you're involved, you know, like, you're not going to have anything to do with it, we're not going to tell you what's important, you know, just, but like, just, but, you know, buy an ad magazine, do this, like, whatever, like, come in, but like, we weren't helping them to be part of skateboarding, we're just taking their money, and like, and they got the, they got to grow their industries through skateboarding, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about 93 and, uh, video games, it wasn't a big deal in 93, you know, and, and we could say, in part, it blew up because of skateboarding and Tony Hawk and all this stuff, like, to where it's, like, the, this huge industry. Music, like, when you think of, like, the 80s, like, the music that skateboarders listen to, like, normal people didn't listen to that shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? But by 92, when Nirvana was, like, this huge fucking band, like, that, to me, all kind of came through skateboarding. And the skateboarding kind of, like, culture. Yeah. As far as, like, the stuff that we listened to and we thought was cool was just thrown out there now. Like, and it got cool on its own. Yeah, that's you know? it. It's crazy. So, so, the 90s and skateboarding, like, it was all ours, and we got to, like, look around and say, man, we made all this, you know? Yeah, that's way at some point, like, it, it went back to, like, now skateboarders or skateboarding wants to appease this bigger picture. You know, like, and it's all about money, as opposed to like, let's make skateboarding cool. No, let's just make skateboarding like every fucking day else out there that makes money. 
Yeah, I was telling someone this the other day. I was talking about this sort of because I was like, half the reason, most of the reason I started the skateboard the podcast was because I knew like skateboarders are super unique and they have like epic stories and that's all the culture is like the people that live it and love it in the trenches like at living at the skate park sleeping like doing all the trips all the people that shoot the photos all the people that have that have just dedicated years to their life that's that's like something i like how you said that those outside brands would come and support you guys doing what you're doing not try to own it you know but actually just support what you're doing it's like letting an artist be an artist you know instead of trying to come in and like have them teach you how to paint or something <laughs> but like I, but the podcast to me i was like yeah like there's so many like I, I remember the recession and all that weird stuff and then all these brand big brands are coming in the shoe market's weird and there's barely any skate brands and i was like dude like these people we we at least got to collect our culture online you know like collect the stories of authentic skateboarders because then they can't box us in it's like everybody skateboards you know <laughs> strange you know like, that's my whole thing, is, like, no one one thing can own skateboarding. Like, remember when it was all handrail skating? It gets so boring. You're like, dude, this is the standard. It's just, you know. And then I bet in the, the vert skating days, that was probably sick for a while, but then it probably gets boring as hell if it's all one dominant thing, you know? Yeah, like, you look at, like, well, yeah. I could. Inverts were very big in the 80s, you know what I mean? Like, people that could do inverts. And then by the end of the 80s, Nobody wanted to do inverts because there was all these kind of robot dudes that would just do inverts on every wall. <laughs> 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 like, it's nasty. And you forgot, you know, that Lance Mountain did inverts really rad. But he didn't do them as whole. He just did like one and then he did a bunch of other shit, you know? Hell yeah. But it went away because it was all these people were doing these fucking just, just heinous looking inverts. And so then lip tricks became the next thing, you know? Like, everybody was like, everybody, everybody to get away from hand plans, everybody did lip tricks. You know, all, all the people that were kind of, like, setting trends, you know, like Ben Schroeder and stuff, and that came out with all these lip tricks, so people were just blowing people away, like, I want to do that, you know? Dude, Ben Schroeder. Same thing happened with that. Ben Schroeder, so gnarly, right? He's massive, too. How yeah. big, How tall is he? Well, like 6'4", six, 6'5". Dude, powerhouse. Size 15 foot, I think. <laughs> My God, dude. I, he's still killing people nowadays, I bet. Last time I saw him, it had to have been years ago, but watching him skate, I was like, this dude is on one in a good way, you know? So good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so... It's like, yeah, it's like the Andrea, I was like, yeah, definitely got to be too much at some point. Like, all right, I don't want to see another stare. Like, that was the goal. Like, I want to get one more stare. Yeah, no, I don't matter. I'd rather see somebody do something on a smaller set of stairs that looks cooler than what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, like, agreed. <laughs> yeah, how do you how do you feel about skateboarding nowadays? Because the internet's here. I feel like there's like everyone has a different version, their own version. I, even though things turn into memes or trends or whatever, like no, they tried to ruin no complies. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody loved them yeah. so much. They tried. I mean, everything's got, like, the point of saturation somewhere. And I guess you just got to find what you love and just stick with that. That was, you know, part of, like, in the, from 2006 to, I don't know, 2014, I didn't really shoot a lot of skateboarding. Or when I did, I was really choosy about the kind of stuff I wanted to shoot. And I think it kind of went more, at that time, towards, like, transition stuff, like, pool stuff. 
just stuff that not everybody was shooting. And just because to me it was like, well, if everybody's shooting the same stuff, well, I don't want to shoot it, you know. And not to be totally different, but it just didn't interest me anymore. And so I shot a lot of backyard pools and just or dudes that were a little more underground, like Ben Rayborn and just guys that weren't weren't the the hot guys or the cool guys on the block. You know, they were kind of different. And I thought I felt that was a little bit more exciting for me, or, or kind of a rebirth in what I wanted to do. And you know, but now that's trendy. Like, <laughs> you know, the, you can't get away from it. Really, it's not my fault or whatever. But that's just how skateboarding is. Yeah. Um, well, you just have to be like fluid. You have to be able to adapt. I feel like we're all going to have to do that even further. Like as everything technology speeds up and everything, just with how you live, you're going to have to be more fluid and adjustable. Like. But, like, with skating, too, now there's so much data and content and everything and progression is, like... Remember... Do you remember, like, you must because you shot sequence with film even though you weren't paying for it. <laughs> but, like, that that is, like, a crazy time. But now every, there's so much content out there and people can just film with their phones everything. Like, it's crazy. Do you remember... Right the, up. Right do, away. Do you remember the point when things got, like... You remember the first people that got super gnarly where you're, like, this is, like, dangerous gnarly? Like shooting, um, shooting yeah. laws, like shooting photos. Like Rowley, Jeff Rowley. Yeah. I mean that when those when those guys the flip guys came over in '93, and you know the first time I shot Jeff was at Oceanside High. You know that was just like oh take this hey I want you to shoot this kid from Liverpool. Is there any spots you can take him to? I'm like well I'm gonna meet these guys at Oceanside High in a little bit. And it was like Alfonso and Danny Mayer or somebody. Damn. Does he want to come? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'll go over there. And, you know, there was the stairs at Oceanside High. Like, they were skating something else, like a four-stair or a five-stair or maybe the bump. And uh, he just sees the stairs and he's like, oh, I think I can 360 flip this. Not really. And I'm like, what? Yeah. You can, you can do what? <laughs> Whatever. And so I just set up and, like, I think he did it, like, in five or six tries or something. First, he pop showed it right away, and then did a 360 flip. And all those dudes, Alfonso and Danny Mayer, and there's probably a couple other guys, I can't remember who they were, just watched this happen, and they were just blown away. And these were like, you know, Alfonso was like one of the sickest skaters, you know? Yeah, Al. And he sees it, he's just like, holy shit, this yeah. is the kind of shit I gotta do? <laughs> and then everybody that obviously saw her, and, you know, kind of like people talked about it, called her, hey, Jeff Rowley was here and just did this 360 flipping ocean. I mean, everybody knew it so fast. You know, and from then on, skateboarding seemed to like ramp up and progress super, super fast. Yeah. Nowadays. You know, I'm not saying that it was just him. Like, I mean, there was dudes like Jeremy Ray out doing some pretty fucking gnarly shit. And, but I think they pushed, you know, him and Tom Penny, Jeff and Tom, pushed a lot of people to like step up their game. Yeah, because like, I, when I was first getting tuned into videos and magazines, they were everywhere. It was gnarly to watch. They definitely had, like, a, a wave or whatever, you know? That's cool. So let's talk a little bit about switching uh, from Transworld and moving on to the skateboard mag. How does this all come to be? 2003. Um, nothing was wrong at Transworld, really. Like, it was, it was a good job, like... Worked with a lot of rad people. Um, there was some weird corporate kind of changes going on, like people getting laid off that we'd worked with, not at the skateboard magazine at Transworld, but like in the building because they had 
snowboard magazine, they had BMX magazines, they had surf magazine, but people were kind of getting laid off. It's January 1st for layoffs, you know, like, boom, 10 people gone. Like, you're like, whoa, that's weird. <laughs> but skateboarding was booming, and, like, you know, we were, we were making, like, a million dollars in ads a month. Wow. So, you know, you remember how big the magazine was? It was, like, 400 pages. Yeah, it was fucked up. Um, and so, you know, you see all that kind of going on, and I was still in my 30s. Uh, <laughs> and I just thought, fuck, that's kind of fucked up. But I was in a good position. Like, I was, I was in charge of the video. The skateboard magazine, the skateboard business, and so everything was good, but the advertising guys were like talking to me about something like, hey, you know what, you guys aren't making enough money, and this and that, you should be making more. We didn't know what to do, like, huh, we should make more money? <laughs> yeah, all these other guys are getting all this stuff, and so we kind of got tainted by that a little bit, like, yeah, we should be making more money, but we didn't know how to go about, like, Give us more money, you know. We didn't know what to do. We were like, so then one of the ad guys, this guy Mike, was like, "Hey, what what do you think about starting a new magazine?" And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "Well, if we can get an investor, I think we could probably do this on our own." And I was like, "All right, you know, it just sounded good to me. Like, oh, we can own our own thing. We can." Put cuss words in there and do whatever the fuck you want in the magazine. Fuck yeah. That'd be sick. <laughs> you know, like, no rules. And that, again, that was one of the only things with Transworld to me that, like, was kind of bad was that they would always come up with these, like, oh, there's no, can't have guns. Like, can't have guns, why? It was just like this blanket policy. A toy gun? Yeah, you can't have guns. Or, you know, they, just weird stuff like that, you know. And it wasn't a big deal if you're a grown up, like, that makes sense. But if you're like a, a a kid that's never gonna grow up, and you're looking at skateboarding, you're like, "Fuck that! You can't tell me what to do." In your head, you know. So, but there's the opportunity to do our own thing. But they, but, but they people take it too far too. Like there's like weird shit. Like marijuana, like marijuana is a good example where like people are just like demonize the shit out of something that they clearly shouldn't. So, like, curse words, there's a fine line in, like, censorship, you know? Yeah, like, oh, no, totally. Yeah. And I get it, you know, as a grown-up, I get it because... When you have shareholders, so, though, Dave, when there's shareholders and, like, there's so many people involved, it becomes about numbers, it loses the... Oh, cut out. Cut out. Sorry, you there? I'm losing you. Hold steady, hold steady. You there? <laughs> yeah. Nice, all right, we're here. Can you hear me? Yeah, okay. All right, cool. Yeah, but when it gets too, when something gets, yeah, I can hear you. When something gets too big, it's like becomes about numbers, and it gets further away away from the act of skateboarding. You know. Yeah. No, I knew all too well. Yeah. But like again, given the opportunity, like, hey, you can do this thing. Like, all right. And so we borrowed. This guy found this investor for us. Um, who was doing a surf magazine on his own. And they, you know, we borrowed, I think, four or $500,000. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good and, amount. You know, there was seven of us left, or six of us left. Me, Grant, um, Ativa, Kevin Wilkins, Ativa's brother, Akko, and this guy, Mike. So six. And we got to own this thing, you know, and at the time... All we had to do is get a, you know, a number of, enough ads to pay us our salaries and we were fucking stoked, you know? Like, like alright, we get the, we get paid and like as, as skateboarding grows, we'll get more money because there'll be more, 
money coming into skateboarding because again, we're like we came from a magazine that was making a million dollars a month in advertising. Not that we wanted to make that much, but like it was like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's great. And we never thought skateboarding could change or, or get smaller or any of this. Would happen. We didn't think the internet was going to happen. Uh, <laughs> True. So we were just like, yeah, let's just leave. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. And it was good for a good five or six years. That's sick, though. As far so- as monetary and, you know, like being able to do our own thing and not have to worry about... You know, catering to every advertiser about every little thing, which all changed around 2008 or 2009, where you kind of, where everything started becoming like, how do we get advertisers, how do we make advertisers happy? Like, why would we ever have to ask ourselves that question, but we ended up doing that. Yeah. Which was basically because, you know, internet takeover, ad dollars getting smaller, you know. Everybody kind of fight for this piece of a pie that was like shrinking and shrinking more and more, you know. So the game became, how do we make an advertiser happy to pay us money? Which I had never really dealt with before until that time. Which, in hindsight, it's kind of a bummer. Not the funnest time. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's amazing. It's amazing that. Um... You guys were able to do that for six years, and you basically created jobs for yourself. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, the first six years was good. Like, again, we didn't have to answer to anybody. Like, it was like, we'd get all the good trips. You know, Thrasher was still, you know, Thrasher was probably, at the time, you know, either first or second with Transworld. Transworld was still the biggest, I think. But Thrasher was, like, quickly overtaking everything, and I think, we were still in a position, like, a third magazine was still fine, like, you know what I mean? Like, people were willing to support it, like, with, with their ads, and, like, everybody was doing good still, so there wasn't a lot of questions, you know? Like, we could just do, run, hey, we're doing, we're just doing interviews, and we're doing these things that are cool skateboarding stuff that we've always done, and people were happy with it. And then, again, the internet started to become this bigger thing. As the money started shrinking, and we didn't know how to, we couldn't invest in the website or any of that stuff. Yeah, tough. And is Transworld still around? It is. Yeah, it's funny that you asked that question. I know. I just wonder, like, you know, we got to be weary because magazines are epic, right? Like, I don't know. I think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't want it to die. Like, there should be ways to do it, right? Like, I know there's a lot of small DIY magazines, too, right? Did you know Matt Price? Yeah. Yeah, you know Matt. Yeah, Matt's the did man. Did you see him? No. Did you see the one that he did? Um, maybe. What was it? Golden Hour. Golden Hour? What? That's sick. Yeah. So he, he made a one, I mean, self-published, you know, on his own. No ads. Um, I think he got sponsored by Converse. So they paid for his printing, and then he was able to just sell them all on his own. What? That's it was only five hundred, but he sold them all. Wow, that's bad. epic! That's yeah. so cool. Hold on, my KK's pulling it up. Golden Hour issue issue one. That's sick, man. Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. I like Low Card. You check out Low Card at all? Um, I haven't in a while. Yeah. I got bad eyes, so I'm kind of small. <laughs> Did, what, your eyes are beady. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, they're beady. <laughs> Do you have kids, Dave? 
I have three kids. Holy cow. Good for you, bro. <laughs> and uh, my girlfriend has two kids. Wow. That's five kids. You got a lot but of two kids. Two of them are grown up. One, like I said, one just graduated from college. Um, and is going to grad school in a month. And my son, he just, he's in the Navy. He just joined the Navy, so he's at boot camp right now. Really? That's crazy. Yeah. So he's 19, and then my, my youngest daughter's 13, so. Damn, that's sick. So, hey, do you think, do you know anything about the Navy? Does he, he had to take schooling and all that stuff? How do you get into the Navy? What's the process of that? Uh, he went to a recruiter, and they said he was okay, and now he's at boot camp, so he's at like eight weeks of, uh, I guess, no, I don't know what they do. <laughs> <laughs> run, they beat run you. Beat, yeah, they beat you up a lot. <laughs> that's pretty they sick. Part of the crew. <laughs> Yeah, that seems wild. I've never really considered that that um, going to the army or the navy. I was in very stuck on skateboarding, like you. I still am, clearly. You are too. Yeah. <laughs> What's that car behind you? Thing looks pretty sweet. That's a 1971 Ford Bronco. There you go. Look at that thing. <laughs> nice. I like the red. Pretty cool. I I built that. Well, I helped build that. It was a pile of rust. You know, I bought it from somebody in Tennessee in 2011. And uh, it was right when I was getting divorced. So that kind of kept me sane for the next year and a half. Oh, that was like a version of skateboarding, but a truck. Yeah. <laughs> I get well, that. I the, it was skateboarding in that truck. And again, 2011 was fucking really kind of a shitty year. Then I, I just, you know, with a divorce... Uh, working at the magazine was kind of like just constant fighting like you know amongst ourselves like over fucking what to go in the magazine what's cool what's not cool like all the things that a skateboarder shouldn't be worried about if he's doing this you know like fuck I'm a skateboarder this is cool fuck off yeah you know like but we were definitely going through bad times there uh yeah his divorce Matt was kind of like those two things like this thing and skateboarding kept me sane like riding my skateboard and building this would help me out help me get through 2011-2012 gnarly <laughs> well that's good dude that's good that you found outlets for it man cause you, something crazy about my family my parents I don't even think ever got married I barely remember them ever together and when they were they would fight oh, awesome. they would fight it was gnarly so but, I didn't hear what you said oh I'm sorry yeah but my family is like my parents. I don't even think they ever got married, but they were always they were always split up and fighting and like I don't know. But they never got divorced because they don't even think they ever got married. And they just like could never work it out. My mom and dad, my whole life, I don't think they ever got along once. It was a good thing they split up, I guess. You know. Yeah, my. I mean, I got along with my wife for a while. You know, it was cool, but then it just became this terrible time so it was just like let's cut this off <laughs> yeah and she's she's been an alcoholic yeah it's so. funny it's funny my mom my mom had substance abuse issues too that was half the problem most of the problem <laughs> crazy yeah they don't, they don't want to realize it yeah it's rough dude but or admit it or whatever you know i don't i don't know how it works so yeah it's a struggle <laughs> <laughs> i like your truck though that's at least that good came out of it <laughs> Yeah, and well, and so we just moved into this house, so, you know, we've been renting a house 
little down the road. And it hadn't been in the garage for five years we ran that place. So it's been sitting outside for five years. Damn. So now it's finally happy in the garage. Nice. Nice and <laughs> safe in there. Yeah. It doesn't get all dirty. Like, I wouldn't even drive it because, like, it was every time I'd want to drive it, it would be like, leaves and all sorts of shit inside and I'd be like fuck I'm not going to drive this thing <laughs> yeah and it's, it's it's not a car that I can uh, like I don't take to go shoot skateboarding in it because it doesn't have much room in the back it doesn't have a roof so I can't lock it up and then it's on a three speed nice like a three speed on the tree so it only goes like 55 miles an hour oh you're not getting <laughs> on the highway really not getting on the freeway <laughs> nope that's nice. But it's a rat car, you know, it was like when I was a kid. You know what slot cars are? No. Wait, slot cars, like yeah. These things are like these tracks. I used to be really into slot cars when I was a little kid. And like one of the cars that they had was this. You know, they had, they had a, a version of this. That's it. I used to just love it. Like, oh, this thing's sick. <laughs> and uh, so I always told myself, like, if I can never get one of those, I'm going to buy one. And yeah, I sold a bunch of like old skate shit, like just stuff, like product. That's where I got four thousand dollars, and I just bought this thing on eBay. Nice, sick. <laughs> shipped out. That's crazy. There it is. It's crazy you had that much stuff to sell. Good for you. Uh, people that know me have seen all the shit that I had in my office. Like, and I still have. There's like a little storage thing back there, full of boxes of skateboards. Yeah, we tend to be hoarders a little bit. Yeah, but you know, the good part was obviously it got me that. But then uh, you know when I was when I got laid off in 2016, you know for the mag, um, I was able to sell a bunch of that shit <laughs> and like not have to really stress out about working too much. Oh, that's nice, dude. That means you had a bunch of wealth around you, you and you made yeah. use of it. Good for you. That's it's awesome. Not moving it, but fuck, whatever. <laughs> whatever. When things go crazy, man, you gotta like uh, hustle and figure out how to survive. And especially if you have kids, shit gets real quick, real quick. <laughs> I can imagine. I don't even have kids. <laughs> oh, me and Ke me and Kevin, it. me and Kevin are just talking about our friend. He's having a second kid, and he's like twenty. One, two, twenty-two. Well, uh, you ever see Brandon? You still see Brandon around? Yeah, yeah. I just talked to him today, actually. He was He's going to come on the show pretty soon, but he was out skating. We go skate Boston a lot. We'll go out on the weekends and skate Boston and Providence, and he still comes on the podcast, and he's been on the most, probably. So, But yeah, he's lived so close. It's crazy. He has, a, he, has a, he has a kid now, right? Yeah, he has a little one. Him and his lady, and they're they're like about half an hour from me. Yeah, he's I'll like never, a dad. I'll never forget going to... What's that? He's a dad. It's crazy to think that Brandon Westgate's a dad. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Like, cause I went on that trip to Tokyo with him and Jeremy and Seamus in two thousand five. Hell yeah! You know, he just seemed like such a such a little kid. I know he was he wasn't as young as he looked. Like, he was 18 or 19, maybe. But I can remember that first night, like, Jeremy took us into the strip club and, like, just all this climb shit. Like, I'm just looking at Brandon. I'm like, dude, how, this, how's this even happening? You know? And then, I, like, yeah. There he is. He's got a kid of his own and shit now. 
That's that's nothing. Steve Rodriguez and Fibro used to fucking get some like crazy shit with Brandon with like girls with their tits out or like some crazy demo situation or like <laughs> that's so funny. Klein took him in there. Yeah, he he looks like he's like four years younger than he is. You know, he looks like. I don't talk to him in ages, but he's good, dude. He's the same. He's skating a whole bunch and. Just being Brandon, working hard, raising his kid, and like he has his cranberry ball. Yeah, I like that he didn't, that he stayed back there. You know what I mean? It kind of like keeps whatever. Being a pro skateboarder, what these days, and to do all the shit that you gotta do, like moving to California and just all the bullshit. You know, like it's rad that people kind of can still keep it. Like, no, it's my job. Like, I mean, I skateboard. But I don't want to move into this fucking other world that I don't want to be part of and you know, get to stay out there. That, that, that's cool to me. Yeah. Yeah, me too. That's why, like, we do a lot of events and stuff out here because we have winter, you know, and, like, we have an indoor park in the winter, which is rad. That's where I skate with Westgate in the winters all the time at the edge, you know. But So it's hard. Like, half the year you can't really go out and skate straight or whatever. But we do tons of events and keep it going. And, like, it's been amazing. Like, and this whole summer's been crazy, too, being back home and just seeing how much skateboard stuff has happened. Every weekend there's some event or some people doing something epic. Like, it's insane right now. It's cool. I feel like I'm on tour while I'm I'm working, too. (laughs) It's weird to say that. (laughs) Like, tomorrow we got an event. Do you want to stop or what? Oh, um, no. So, I do All I Need Skateboards, which is my brand. Right, well, what, what is All I Need Skateboards? It's, I'm interviewing you now. Well, that's fine. You've done it. We were talking about that earlier. You've done a bunch of interviews. We were talking about that. Um, so, basically, I, when the recession hit, World, I was riding for World Industries. with Charlie Thomas and RP Best were over there, and they were running World and Andrew Cannon, and we were building a skate team, and we were getting checked to do what we love, and... They weren't getting in our way too much, you know? Like, it was like... And then the recession hit, and then checks just slimmed up and slimmed up, and then uh, I just got a job. I just started working at this down the road from here. It's uh, screen printing, um, embroidery. They, we do all types of stuff. Like, uh, I just started working there, like, 9 to 5, you know? Like, working at the end of a belt catching clothes in front of a heater for hours on end. Like, just a job, you know? But I did it because I was like... My friend referred me to that place, and she owns a skate park, and the reason why I live in this town is because of the Edge Indoor Skate Park. Like, when I moved back to East, because I went out to Long Beach for two years when I rode for Birdhouse, and then I got a chance to come back home because I rode for Z-York, so I got to make money on the East Coast and skateboard because I was riding for Z-York, and they wanted us in the city, so that was sick. And then um, then World wanted to turn me pro, and I told them I didn't want to go out West because I was just like... I've missed, like, the New England attitude, and I don't know. There's something cool going on, you know? So I just stayed here, and then um, I moved to Taunton because there's this 30,000-square-foot indoor skate park, and I would just go there and make friends, and we had such a big community because everyone comes from all over New England. Like, there's so many states right here. It's so fractal, but there's so many different crews and styles and personalities and, like, different versions of skateboarding, and everybody comes to this park in the winters because there's not one like it you know like there's not many indoor parks it's really hard to like keep a indoor skate park going for a long time like we just had another one closed down you know you have to pay to skate there i I don't because i i work for them you know i create all their events and we do lock-ins and i throw a couple contests for them every year and stuff like that but yeah usually it's 15 dollars for three 
for three hours. So it's a three hour session, fifteen dollars. Five dollars an hour. And um but yeah, it's crazy. So like I ended up living here near that skate park because it's a lifeline in the middle of winter when you need to skate. Like I would go crazy if I couldn't skate. I feel like you're probably similar, right? <laughs> and um then I just started my own skateboard brand because there was no more skateboard money and I had savings. I had a little bit of savings from just hustling. I always save money because you got to do that, and I have anxiety about life. So <laughs> you try to save some money in case the rainy day happens because they happen, you know. And uh, for you, I never got. To, I was never able to do that. No, terrible savings. Terrible saving money. <laughs> I mean, I didn't save that much. I saved enough to start all I need, and then I just focus on skateboarding. So that's what all I need is is skateboarding because. The whole reason I do everything is so I can be involved with skateboarding and be able to skateboard and hang out with people that love skateboarding, you know? So all I need is this podcast, The Shetler Show. We have a YouTube channel. We make skateboards and apparel. Um, we have some coffee cups, too, The Shetler Show. and then um, But we do events, too. We do this event down at Surf Expo. They, they hired us to go down there and throw a mini ramp uh, contest list last few years. We throw our own skateboard contest. It's called the New England Am. And uh, we've been doing that the last four years, and just a bunch of collection of skateboarders coming together that film and shoot photos and like just build culture and focus on building up skateboarding for the sake of skateboarding, you know. So that's all I need. <laughs> and then I I also work for World Industries. Like I'm, they kind of came back to me because whoever bought the brand came back and was like saw that I was associated through probably photos you shot or whoever shot at me and filmed to me. And then they employ me now to try to, like, rebuild the brand and keep the decks going and create new art and social media manager and stuff like that. And Kevin actually Kevin actually rides world boards, my intern. <laughs> and he shreds, and it's sick to be able to, like, work for world and be able to have extra boards to give him. And, like, I don't know, world's one of those brands It's like, I feel like I'm carrying on a torch. Because you think of how many skateboarders have been involved with it, like... I don't know. It's so heavy. For sure. You know. You know. I have relatives in Rhode Island, right? You do. Whereabouts? In West Warwick. We were just there, dude. Kevin was working on an edit today where we were at West Warwick Skate Park. We threw a skate jam. A couple brands came out, sent up, set up a tent, and everything it was sick. Yeah, every one of my brothers was born in Rhode Island. My mom and dad were born in Rhode Island. You know, their grandparents, all that. You know, so. It's, I had a lot of family back there. Now it's just basically my dad and maybe an aunt. This is like my dad's 91. Wow. He's in a, he's in a assisted living in, in East Greenwich, Rhode Island, which is right next to West Warwick. But yeah, I mean, that's my whole family's roots are from that zone right there. I, I want to say... Except for me, who was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> really? Yeah. I was going to say, you but feel I, like I, you're from Rhode I'm Island. From Rhode Island, like, every summer growing up. I kind of, when I got to be about 12 or 13, I used to hate it. Like, I don't want to go out there. You know, just because it was like me and my grandparents and then like some kids that were always mean to me. Because I was the weird kid from California who wore boxers. Like, that, I remember that was like a like a big deal. Like, some kid saw that I had boxers like through my pants. He was like, dude, you can't wear those around here. I was like, what? You can't wear those colorful, funny looking underwear, you fucking kid. What? Yeah. It didn't make any sense. So I then I was scared because I thought I was going to get beat up by these kids. Like, yeah. they're wearing boxers. <laughs> There's a fucking boxer band out there, bro. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
You, uh, it was in 1976, probably. <laughs> you feel like you're from Rhode Island, kind of, to me. I was going to say, I feel like you're from the East Coast. You, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, again, I grew up, like, a little bit of that mentality. Not, not totally California, but yeah, I love it here. You know, I mean, it's hard to want to leave, but there's a lot of things that make you want to leave. Traffic, you know. Um, how much it costs to live here. Um, and then, not people that, like, just, like... Uh, the way the skateboard industry is out here is kind of funky, too. I mean, like, from what you talk about, like, it sounds like, oh, that's, like, utopian. <laughs> like, people are helping each other, like, doing the same thing, like, not trying to stab your back. Like, it's, like, it sounds kind of sick. Like, a small community. Like, yeah. that's, again, like, to me, you know, like, skateboarding now seems less like a community, like all these little communities. It seems like, you know, with Instagram and all this shit, that everything's in one community. So if you say something... Or do something like it's immediately like rain down upon like you're not from LA, fuck you or whatever the deal like where you're like fuck I don't want to say anything like whereas you know all these different zones in skateboarding have so much to offer like and to stay true to what they are you know when I think of San Diego like we weren't LA and we weren't San Francisco like we had our own thing going on and now like you see it and you're like people probably just think this is LA you know like. It's, it's all kind of like meshing into this fucking soup that, I don't know, seems kind of bad. Yeah. Well, I like San Diego ditches. Yeah? Very yeah, so good. a lot of those. That doesn't think, make me think of LA. It makes me think of San Diego. I'll say that much. <laughs> well, alright. You ever seen Timmy Knuth out there? I see him a lot. He lives with Dalton Dern. Nice. So, I mean, actually, that. You know, I'm actually shooting Dalton tomorrow for a Go Skateboarding Day post. How good is Dalton? He's so good. Yeah, he's pretty rad. Yeah. And his brother's even radder. Yeah, his brother shreds too. They're like both superhuman. Um, but yeah, I see Timmy mostly at the skate park at Prince. Like, he's usually with Canon or something. Yeah, he rides for my skateboard company. Oh, yeah? He has a board. You want to see one? Let me see if it, unless it's sold out. It might be sold out. Here's one of his boards. <laughs> the, the head blowing up? Yeah, it's like a war machine. It's like an atomic war, basically, like a gas mask. Yeah. Timmy was, uh, me and Timmy were riding for World together, and then when World kind of, like, got bought and sold and the money shrunk up, I was like, Timmy, let's go. It's, I'm doing all I need, and he was just in, so. He's so good. Talk to him all the time? Yeah, yeah, I just, we just shipped him a box yesterday, and I've been, we flying out to Florida, and he comes out to the East Coast and helps judge our contests and stuff, and we're working on our third video right now, and uh, I'm going to fly him out when it's fall, when it's not too humid, and it's starting to get a little colder, and we're going to street skate, finish our video out. Sweet. Yeah, I think the difference between, there's like a more of a blue collar mentality here, you know, like... There's all different types of skateboarders that show up, and, like, there's no, like, delusion. Like, in California, like, especially Southern California, it feels like people go there to make it. Like, what does that even mean, you know? It's like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, <laughs> it's a little... Well, you know, and most of those people are, like, outsiders. Like, yeah. Like, they're not... I mean, again, L.A. is probably way more of, like, this place where everybody just goes. Like, they're not, like... Nine out of ten times you'll run into somebody and they're not definitely not from LA. Yeah. Hey, where are you from? Fuck, 
uh, Arizona or <laughs> Chicago, whatever. And you know, but they you wear an LA hat, like the whole thing. Like they just immerse themselves in like, well, from LA, you know, like where you're like, fuck off, you're not from LA. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't get that in San Diego, which is pretty cool. You know, like you don't get people coming here and like all of a sudden like. <clears throat> SD, like, you know, like, getting into the whole thing is like, um, skating, <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess it's just not cool to say you're from here, yeah. for whatever reason. It, we have that a little bit with cities, like Boston and New York, people kind of get a little like, I'm from Boston, or whatever, that was a, such a bad accent, but... <laughs> <laughs> you better work on it. Well, dude, I talk to people a lot, and they're like, where are you from? I'm like, Massachusetts, they're like, you don't really sound like you are, but sometimes I do, like, if I drink beer, I turn into, like... Uh, a bastard, a fucking cocksucker. <laughs> That's fucking wicked. That's fucking wicked good. I whip out wicked all the time. I don't even realize it. So then when I try to say it, like it comes out forced and it never believable. <laughs> oh, we wanted to ask you: Did you shoot? You shot? Did he? Were you saying you shot the twenty star lip? El Toro. Yeah, yeah, El Toro. You shot Heath Kirchart at El Toro for that first lip slide. I did. How's this go down? Does he call you, or do, how do you rig that one up? <laughs> well, I mean, I could have known. I know knew Heath from shit, like when he was when he was on Foundation, you know, so early, like right when he got on to his amp, and like he was a fifteen year old kid. But we went on a tour, a Foundation tour, where I was the van driver, the photographer, the money collector, like for two and a half weeks. So I got, the, I drove him, Frank Arata, um Steve Olson. Steve Barra, Josh Beagle, and some kid named Lee Peterson. Like, that was the team. And then I was driving, getting hotels, like, taking photos. Um, and, you know, it's like, so Heath and Josh were, like, my best buddies on that trip. You know, like, goes back to me being a troublemaker. <laughs> where, like, they knew that, like, they could get me to do shit or pick on somebody if they didn't like them or whatever the deal was. You're like... And one guy that we picked on was, uh, or they didn't like, was Lee Peterson, or, didn't, or had something going where they didn't like him for whatever reason. So it was like, immediately like, don't give Lee his money for per diem. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, dude, he's just going to fucking save it and not spend any of it. Just let's just, just don't give him any. So we played this game, and like, where are we? It's funny, it's funny, money. Dave, that's the problem, is sometimes that shit's so funny, you know? Till it, till it happens to you. <laughs> but there's, but funny factor wins sometimes, you know? Like. <laughs> so from that tour, like, you know, he and I got really tight, and I would, I would, you know, every time he wanted to shoot something, he would call me. Um, except in like 96, when I had my first kid, I like, didn't really shoot much. Plus six months. So he was going out with Tebow a lot, for a lot of stuff. But, again, like, after six months, I started shooting most of his stuff again, and so he's filming for the end, and Atiba had actually shot with him at El Toro on his first attempt, and then I think Atiba went out of town, and so he called me, like, hey, can you come shoot this? Or I tried it once, I think we do it this time. So I just met him there, like, super early in the morning, like, about 7.30 in the morning or something. So it was me and him. Sue Trin was there. Like you can see Sue in the photo. Like he's shooting the sequence down below. Oh, see. And Jamie Mossberg and Jamie Mossberg's second filmer. So all the dudes that are filming the end. And I think he did it second try. Not really. That day. 
like, you know, early in the morning, just like, tried one, bailed out of it, like, could have made it, bailed out, and then just landed the second one, and then rode away, and that was the end of the day, you know? And it was rad, like, I, I don't think at the time I realized just how fucking gnarly it would be, like, for years, like, where people just like, whoa, you did that? Like, oh, uh, yeah, I just showed up and fucking snapped a couple photos. <laughs> But that's cool, you know, again, like, when I sell photos, like, online, like, that's one of the, one of the ones that will always sell. You know, people will pay money for it, which is cool. It's a gnarly photo, because he's, he's so big, and it's just, like, that, the stairs look so gnarly, because it's, like, a 20, obviously, and he's, like, a monster on it, too, so it just looks, like, epic, you know, it looks ominous, like, especially nowadays, when, like, you look at it, and other people skate it, it just looks different when Heath skates it, you know? <laughs> It's different. Very true. Yeah, it's just different. <laughs> yeah, that's sick, man. That must have been heavy. How many have you had a uh, many covers? Because we were we were we were talking about that earlier. Like, I wonder how many covers he had. Do you know? Probably had about thirty at Transworld. Wow, nice. And then twelve at the skateboard mag, maybe. Do you save everything? Do you have copies? Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> I mean, actually, there was one cover I didn't have the Eric Dressinger cover, which was a 1990 Transworld. Um, and that, you know, you've heard of Look Back Library? Yeah, Kevin. <clears throat> Kevin Parks. He's been on the show. Kevin's the man. Yeah, he, uh, he delivered it to me one day. It was pretty cool. Wow, that's sick. Is that online? Did he film yeah. it? Oh, you know, it's funny. And again, like, so I use him for a reference a lot of times. I mean, like, a lot of people, like, would always come to me for like, oh, skateboard knowledge for whatever reason. Like, hey, you know this thing? And, you know, because I have this weird photographic memory about skateboarding, at least through the 90s. I might not have it anymore. But, so I would know all this shit. But uh, I had lost this photo of Tom Penny. Like, I didn't have the slide. Harsh. You know, it was like, um, front of my eight flip over the police station rail in Huntington Beach. Yeah, I remember that one. Um, and I, I didn't have the slide. I had a different version that looked kind of wacky, like didn't look like he was going to land it, but I would use it. And so, and I didn't know what magazine it was in, like which issue of Transworld. And so some dude posted it, like one of those Instagram guys that just posts photos all the time. Not cool Mo Leo, but somebody else. Um, and I was like, hey, do you know which issue that's in? Like, I'm really trying to find it, at least so I can get a, a scan of just the, the magazine so I can use that photo. You know, and he's like, no, but I can send you a low res of it. And he did. I had, so I had a low res and I put it on Instagram. If anybody sees this, can you tell me? Like, I need to find out what issue this was in. And nobody knew. Kevin Marks hit me up and said he'd look for it, but he never found it. And then just a week ago, you know who Mark Waters is? Yeah, hell yeah. Mark Waters is awesome. I know him he's from Soul Tech. Huh? And he's like, hey, is this yours? And it was that photo. What? And I was like, well, yeah, where the fuck did you get it? And I guess he had gotten it from, uh, like, when he got stuff back from Transworld, like, that was in his stuff. Damn, the return of the penny photo. There it is. Whoa! <laughs> I can smell it. I can smell it. <laughs> that happens, though. I remember when we were shooting my new Jack, I think, for the skateboard mag, with, and I think Transworld... We had to get photos from them or something. They had, like, some of my photos from Gabe or something. And we had to go to Transworld and get the photos for the skateboard man. Gabe Morford? Yeah. yeah. Gabe's a man, by the way. He shreds. Yes, he is. 
Yeah, so, let me go through our list real quick, because I've held you up, I know, but I want to make sure we cover this stuff. Do you have a pen, KK? All right, go. It's all good. All right, let me make sure we got this. Oh, so what happened with the skateboard mag? Did it get oh. did it get did it get bought up from the barracks? Yeah, they bought. I, well, again, I told you that things were pretty shitty around there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, after now, two thousand ten on was just always a nightmare. Just and again, it's it's just a lot of stuff that like just personalities and like people wanting their wanting everything or not wanting to agree with the team or, like, be part of the whole thing. Like, it just filled out as far as, like, none of us really got along. You know, me and Grant got along. Um, Kevin was in Nebraska. The Jeffersons were in L.A. And we would never see each other. So it was just really hard to do the magazine every month. Yeah. So we just kept going, you know. But every time it was, if there was a money problem, it was like, oh, somebody's got to go. You know, like, no, we're not going. Uh-huh. You know, like, just every, it was, it was bad, to the point of like, fuck, what are we gonna do? And like, so 2014, one of the owners, the guy that we borrowed money from, he was still, still on the payroll, like we were still paying this dude, because he was like a majority owner or something, and like, he, every time we'd bring it up, he'd be like, well, you can't take my money away. <laughs> like, fuck. Yeah, what's, what are you gonna do? God damn it. It was kind of a bummer, like, we needed that money just to like, survive. And, so all of a sudden, I get a, a text from Steve Barra, like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know, just make a magazine. And he's like, hey, that's what I want to talk to you about. So I met up with him, and he, kind of came up with this thing about, like, wanting to buy the magazine. Which at the time, I was like, fuck yes! <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you guys are fucking killing it. Like, if we go there, like, we'll at least have our, our web shit sorted out. Like, everything would be fucking great. If we do the magazine, everything would be great. Yeah, that seemed uh, like, that seemed like what the move was for. It seemed like they had something to offer and it would be a good partnership or something. I don't even know what happened. I just, I just know that I saw that and I was like, not sure, you know, because I'm in the East Coast, you know. Yeah. So they bought it, and then, you know, everything was fine. Like, we made, we made a little bit of money, not much. Um, we had jobs. We got rid of that owner that didn't have anything to do with skateboarding, you know. Like, I mean, again, it was really cool. But then again. They start hitting the shit, the fan even harder. You know what I mean? As, as far as with the barracks, like whatever they were doing money wise was kind of going the other way. But this is 2016. Yeah. Um, and things really kind of fell apart super fast. To where, you know, Grant and I got laid off and it was a bummer. Wait, so does the magazine still alive? Um, no. Well, they, last year, last summer, I got rehired back. As like a photographer, you know. Um, for the barracks or for the magazine? But at the time, I got hired back that they were still doing the magazine as the skateboard bag. Yeah. And I think we did one last issue like that, and then that changed to the barracks mag, like the next month. So and then we did two barracks mag, and and I don't know if you know that hype beast. You know who that is? Uh, it's a hip hop mag or something, or it's, website. Well, yeah, it's like a. I think it just started as like a 
Instagram or some sort of, I don't know what how it started. Like, it's just this, like, Instagram thing, I think. Yeah. Kevin's on it. Kevin's on it. You know, for hipsters or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what, what, what kind of people they are. I don't know. Looks like, like it's a blog. Stuff. It's like a blog. So there's yeah. just, like, content about everything. Yeah. And so they invested in doing in the barracks. Um, and that's kind of where we are now. Like, it's kind of, they're not doing the magazine right now. Hopefully they'll restart it someday. <laughs> it would be sick. They should, for sure. I was kind of hoping it's still around. I guess, like... It's weird, right? What are they listening? Because it's the internet. Internet, internet's so disruptive, man. It's crazy. Yeah, and it's hard. I mean, again, like to me, like the having having the magazine with the barracks, like when that was all together, like it was easier in a lot of ways to sell. I mean, it wasn't easy to sell just the magazine. Like, hey, have a print ad, but to sell the barracks and the magazine as a package to a brand, like, hey, Adidas. You know, yeah. we got this th- thing, like, we'll do, you know, thing on your, your video, like, a big, big package deal, which, again, they, you know, companies like that bought into, you know, now they don't have the magazine part, you know, <laughs> like, hey, you want to be on our website? Like, yeah. and, at a time when, like, nobody really wants to be on any website, right? Yeah, well, like, some... as far as, like... Something yeah. about having something tangible, you know, like it's just classic. Like I feel like there should be more than one magazine or whatever, you know. Maybe it just gets democratized into a bunch of small magazines and just Transworld. Is there Thrasher too? Right, Thrasher's still alive. Yeah. Nice. At least there's two. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Do you think we'll be a day where there's no more magazines? Are we gonna go? It's coming. I don't. We have to ask the kids. I don't see, like, I have kids that skate, and, you know, I would, I mean, they'll look at a magazine if it's sitting there for them, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I don't know, you know, again, their culture is looking at their phones. Yeah. Which is good or bad, I don't know, <laughs> but, I mean, to me, it's kind of crazy, like, wow, you just look at your phones all day. I mean, same with, like, videos, you know, like, how you make a video, and, like, it's just on a website or on a phone, like... And that's it. Like, you don't actually hold it. You don't open it up. You don't yeah. get slided into anything. And you're like, I'll fucking skip this part. Like, <laughs> you just get to fucking watch it. Then, you know, maybe for 24 hours. Because most people don't want to pay for it, right? Yeah. Free for 24 hours. And then, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> well, now it's for sale. Yeah, we didn't sell any. Yeah. <laughs> tough, tough. I mean, again, like, it's hard. Like, if you're on two ends of that. You know, me being a magazine guy and, like, as the business I'm into, right, or the business I've done for most of my life, like, of course I want to be able to sell magazines, right? But if I was the kid, I would rather have it for free. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if that was an opportunity. Same with skateboards. Like, when I, when I think back to, like, we would buy stickers, right? We would pay a dollar or five dollars for a sticker. You know, and somewhere in there, you're like, oh, i got to get this indie sticker. i got to get this sticker. And at some point, like, people just gave away stickers, like, in the 90s, like, which is, like, stickers are free. Yeah. But I would imagine, like, for years, like, throughout the 80s, how and all these companies made fucking bank off of stickers. Like, so much money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was a big part of the thing. So then all of a sudden, their face would, like, dude, we don't make any money off this. Yeah. And it's a promotional expense. You know, we're just, prom- it's a promotional thing. Yeah. Which to me it's like same with like making a video. Now it's just it's just a promotional thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, whereas it used to be, you know, Birdhouse, you fucking look at that Birdhouse video at the end. Yeah. yeah. They made over a half a million dollars selling that video. Gnarly. Yeah. But that would, but that, but to be fair, I mean, it's because there's, it's democratized now. Everybody, there's so much, it's all online, like you're saying, you know? Then it was like, there was only so many people could make that video. Birdhouse was the only one, right? Really? I mean, Girl could have made a video like, you know, Yeah, they did, they did too, in the, zero, the I mean, there was all these different people that made videos that made money off it. And yeah, again, you ask that kid now, like, are you gonna pay for the video? They're like, no. Yeah. Do you know what, do you know ETN? Yeah, there's a network show. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious, do people pay to be on there? I mean, that's what they're supposed to be doing, but like, if you're a kid, are you going to do that? I don't know, I probably, maybe if they're like a little kid that their parents give them a credit card. <laughs> or they get their parents' credit <laughs> card. kid a credit card? <laughs> no kids, I have no kids, I am a kid. No, but if you had them, would you be like, dude, no. you kid? No, but are there, are they out there? Maybe. <laughs> some places, but, you know, again, like, like, the magazine part, you know, just like a video, it costs a fucking lot of money to make a magazine, like, to make, put things on paper and, like, mail it to people, like, it costs a lot, you know, to have the employees to make it, so unless people are buying it, you're kind of fucked, and so I guess in the same way, like, videos, like, if, like, a skateboard company can't make money off making a video, why would they, they can't hire a filmer, yeah. they run into that so many times, they're like, companies you kind of perceive as, like, big, like, they don't even have a filmer, like, which is weird. Like, no, you don't have a filmer. Yeah, that's Nike. crazy. We're, we're just hoping that, that Nike, like, pays their filmer to film our guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> uh, that's a bad approach. <laughs> but it probably happens. It's crazy nowadays, Dave, like, because I've been through the, like, I made my skateboard career or whatever through getting in magazines. Like, I remember when I was amateur, they were like, basically my goal was to get a checkout in every magazine, you know, like, in interviews, if I could get interviews. I was in Slap, The Skateboard Mag, Transworld, uh, Skateboarder, like, Big Brother, I was in, uh... I was gonna say, was Big Brother still around? Though? Yeah, I had photos of Big Brother. I shot a bunch with the DeVille that got to Big Brother. And then, um, remember Resolve? Do you ever see Resolve? That was one on the ah. East Coast. Snowboard, Skateboard, Mag, but... But, um, yeah, that's how I made it in skateboarding. Like, I got in all these magazines, got recognition, and then sponsors, like, saw me, and it just helped knowing people, going to events, and... Nowadays, it's crazy, because, like, there's no blueprint, like... Like, at least back then, I knew. I was like, just get these checkouts, because it's, like, the step in the right jet. If you're killing it as an am, you could get and have the right connections, and you're in every magazine. It's kind of hard to deny that. And, like, right. nowadays, it's crazy. Like, everything's online, so there's no, like... No one... There's no blueprint, you know? But it's good and bad, because I look at it like... We make videos for, for all I need, and we do them weekly. Like, we do so much stuff. Like, literally, this whole summer... Every weekend we're doing events or we're going out street skating and like just filming all this stuff and we put it on the internet in one hub, you know? It's like I almost look at it like I'm collecting memories or like because I have been doing it for over six years. Like I go back on the YouTube channel and like literally it's hard not to be grateful because I'm like looking at all the people that I skate with and how these sessions like I've been filming so much and just putting it on there. Just because it's sick, like literally like memory collection. But as far as trying to monetize things, it's like unbelievable it seems like it's so hard for a way for people to figure out how to do it you know it's changed it's just opened up now you have to be more business savvy people got to change their approach you know like 
if the old old medium's not doing it, maybe you got to use it in a different way or try something. Right. You know, there's ways to do it. I'm sure. No, I think like what Matt what Matt did, like doing that on his own. Yeah. It cost him some, or you know, it cost him some time and you know whatever. But like, it's rad that he was able to do it the way he wanted to do it. Like, not have to have like five other people be like, "Nah, dude, that's not cool. Why would you run that?" You know, like the kind of stuff I was telling about. We'd argue about like, yeah, you know, for so many years, like. I'd go out and shoot stuff, and I'd have to be like, dude, you think this is cool? Like, you know what? I think it's cool, so I should be, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, <laughs> Blow your brains out? What? <laughs> like, I want to do my own, you know, self-published magazine to where, you know, it's just stuff that I'm into in skateboarding to show that this is this is what I'm into. Like, you know, and if I can sell 500 of them, that's cool. That's that, Why do I want to know more than 500 people? Or have, you know what I mean? Like, that's a good start. Yeah. Like. For me, you know, I feel like that's the way. Good start for fucking some big company, but I don't know. And I think that this maybe there's going to be a a more of an underground movement in skateboarding as we approach this Olympic shit. (laughs) I love you, dude. I I don't have anything against the Olympics. Like I'm not one of those guys that's like fuck the Olympics. Like I don't get it. Like I'm not into it. Um, I don't think it's the coolest thing for the skateboarding that I like. But you know. Whatever, these outsiders are going to be like, ooh, skateboarding's cool. Like, look at Jim, Jimmy into skateboarding. All right, whatever. <laughs> but skateboarding, this culture of skateboarding gets lost and all that. You know, and it's kind of up to us who are the diehards in skateboarding to kind of like go underground a little bit and kind of show the real side of skateboarding. The dirty side, the side that's like isn't easily digestible in a commercial vein, you know, like... That's what I love about skateboarding. Like, that it's not... It goes back to what I said about, like... It's cool that we made something that people didn't understand. You know, but they wanted to be a part of it. I don't get what you guys are doing, but man, I want to get part of it. And you're like, well, you can't have part of it, but, like, you can check it out. You know, that was always cool to me. Like, it would be nice to go back there. Like, like when you think about... I mean, what do you think about skateboard contests nowadays? Like the big skateboard contests. They're like really kind of cookie cutter little league kind of shit, right? Yeah. The thing the thing about skateboarding is like jocks can't own it. Like if you put it in a skate park and give it too many rules, it just like it's boring, it's too repetition and like rich people that don't skate can't own it because there's people that out there like Andy Roy and fucking Jason Jesse and just people that are you know, like to me, it's like, those contests are not something, like, I want everyone to be involved. Like, even the Olympics, I'm like, fuck it. Like, if someone, if P-Rod wants a bronze medal or a gold medal, like, congratulations. It's not the game I want to play. It's not my version of skateboarding that I like. It's, but it's fine. You guys can have it. But my beef is I don't want them to have dominant say over, like, what's cool and what's not and buy it all up. Like, that was half the reason I invest in my freedom of speech with the podcast is having all you people on. It's like, because it's like, we should be able to come on a podcast and say whatever the fuck we want because we're skateboarders, you know? Like, otherwise Nike dictates what's cool and what they just buy people up, you know? Even because the problem is they have so much money they could, like, and not just Nike, there's tons of brands, you know? Like, especially when the recession hit, all these brands are here and it's just like, feels like skateboarders weren't empowered. But nowadays, I think it's changing because the internet's actually helping democratize it to the point where you can build community. So events to me, are like ones we create around us and we do annually and we all work together and it's all skateboarders for the most part that I've seen out there like 
helping create these events and stuff, you know? But the, on the massive level, like the the do tours and the fucking street leagues and the Olympics, dude, that's a fucking game I could never do. I tried to do contests. Even the money. Money's not a good motivator for me, like, in that sense. You know what I mean? Like, I would do it. The do tours, they'd pay me, like, 1500 bucks just to go and skate. I didn't even have to win. I just had to get there. <laughs> I was fine with that. It's hard, it's hard to, re- to deny that. You know what I mean? Like, me as a photographer, somebody's like, yeah. The, the X game is like, yeah, Dave Swift, we're going to hire you for $1,000 a day. Like, well, all right. You know, and I'll do my best to, like, get this, the shit they want. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, at the end of the day, I wouldn't get home and be like, dude, that was so sick that I was at the X Games. You call that crazy skating? You because know, I've seen fucking crazy skateboarding, and that's not it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, nothing groundbreaking going on there. No, it's boxed but, up. It's boxed up to make profit. That's what they do. They try to, like, yeah, corner it in, give it rules. digestible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Skateboarding's not uh, easily digestible, though. It shouldn't be. Let's <laughs> um, about Remember. You were talking about shooting for them. If you would, you would shoot it, but it's not sick. It's not the sickest game you've seen. You know, it's kind of generic and set up in that sense. It's yeah, for. No, there was something else I was going to talk about, but uh, yeah, it's lost. They're trying to. It seems like those big events are trying to portray skateboarding to an audience that doesn't skate, so they can make money off that audience. They're trying to break it down, dumb it down, make it easily. Like in, they're saying they're doing it for the good of skateboarding when they're just they're not skateboarders, so it's a money making machine. You know. I get that. The thing is, like, some skateboarders make a lot of money doing that, but it's such, so small amount of people that make that much money doing that, those events. No, I know. I don't think people realize that. Yeah. It's not like... the Olympics, it's going to be three three skaters for a park and three skaters for a street. That's it. Like, you fucking put all your eggs into going to the Olympics and nobody cares. And you're not on there. Well, someone's going to get on a weedy box, though. (laughs) Somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. It's like the Hunger Games. That's what the Olympics is. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Just kidding. <laughs> but you know what I mean? As a kid, didn't you think like when you saw the Olympics that it was like, oh, the fucking greatest runner ever, you know, and he beat this record and did all this shit? You thought it. Maybe. I mean, no, that probably was real because, I mean, that's the way running is, or yeah. or fucking swimming. When they're, when the dude makes the record, that's like, that's the fucking world record. That's the best it's ever been. Yeah, but are there yeah. but are there diehard like Andy Roy swimmers out there that are just doing some retarded like version yeah, of well, art? No. That's <laughs> <Maybe>. like <laughs> where you're like, this is skateboarding somehow. It's awesome. <laughs> you yeah, need like you're just, you're just gonna see people doing you know their safe compulsory run. You know, yeah. Get, hopefully get the gold. Boy, that's too much Olympic talk. Yeah, you're over it. It's only going to be every four years, Dave. You only have to worry about it every four years. <laughs> Do you think it'll really affect the skateboarding, like skateboarding, in a in a negative way, or are you just like it'll? No, come... I don't. No, okay. <laughs> I don't either. I think that's what that's what I mean. Like, I think it's going to force or push. You know, the diehard skaters that kind of go the opposite way. And they don't, and, and that doesn't mean we have to sit around and complain about it. Yeah. Because it's happening whether or not we like, whether we like it or not, you know? People that want to juggle those balls are already in process of doing that. Right. <laughs> All things fall apart. So, <laughs> whatever, let it, let it happen. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh. It, real skateboarding. Yeah, nah. And I like what you're saying because it creates contrast. Because. 
you'll see the opposite now. Now that we'll have that extreme, you'll be able to see the opposite, which is nice because I don't feel like I fit in with that. I'll go hang out and check it out. <laughs> That's about it, though, but I would never want to compete in it. And the majority of people, like, how many people want to do that? You even see that with some dudes that are so good at skateboarding, you're like, they're so good, but, like, I don't know, it seems too contrived or too forced or too, like, I don't know. You ever see that in a skateboard where you're like, he's gnarly, they're killing it, this is epic, but it doesn't seem like there's no feeling or heartbeat to it or some sense? It's like a product? Hey, yo, I've seen that a lot. Um, <laughs> and it's funny, like, again, like, it's the, the greatest, I mean, I've seen, you know, like, if you were to say, hey, who's your favorite skateboarders? You know, I'd say, oh, Lance Mountain, Keith Kirchard, uh, Neil Blender, you know, like these dudes that weren't the greatest skateboarders. I mean, not really. You know, I mean, Tony Hawk was like the greatest skateboarder. And, you know, there's Eric Costin, the greatest skateboarder. There's all these people that were were better skateboarders than them. Yeah. But they just weren't as interesting to me, you know? Like, watching watching the way Heath worked at skating, you know, like, on his own, like his, his whole mental approach to, like, what he had to do to do something. Like, he was really self-driven, you know? Um, how he would beat himself up, like, where you're like, dude, why are you doing that? That doesn't look fun at all. Like, you're trying, you're fucking killing yourself for just to, like, land this. You know, it was pretty rad to see, you know, to watch Neil Blender, um, do things, and then, as soon as it became like, hey, skateboarding's popular, we want you, he was like, I don't want to have anything to do with it, and just went the other way. Like, it was just like, fuck skateboarding, you know, fuck your establishment, you know, that, which was, Wow, that's cool to see. You know, they're not just gonna play along to make the money. Yeah. Which is you know, and then Lance obviously like just having his type of career forever, just doing just being Lance. You know? It's cool to see. Yeah. And you know, again, they're not the greatest skateboarders. They're great they're great skateboarders, but they're not like the most talented, you know, best in the world. You yeah. know, which is what I think people are trying to be going forward. You know, like, you have these kids that are, like, their parents want them to be the best skateboarder in the world. Like, what does that mean? Is there such a thing? Like, I don't think there is. Yeah. I, de I deal with that on a personal level because I teach skateboard lessons. So, like, but it's awesome because most little kids are getting into it at a young age, at least around me, and they're super little. They're anywhere from, like, 8 to 12, and a lot of little girls in... They definitely have, like, aspirations, you know? They're excited about skateboarding and wanting to do more. But it's sick when they're so little because I get to help them learn how to balance and they have to, like, kind of, like, you know. And then some days they come in and they're all sore and their parents took them to, like, gymnastics and karate and they're coming to skating. And I'm like, dude, just tell me if you're sore. Skateboarding doesn't – we don't have to go hard. Like, skateboarding's here if you just need to, like, throw the board into the bowl and just ride around on your ass, you know? Like, just let me know. Because, dude, some people, their parents push them too hard, and they're little kids, and they're, like, they, like, tell them rhetoric. Not not that I get that too often, but it does happen occasionally. You get a parent that, like, pushes their kids or whatever, and their kid needs skateboarding not to be the best, but they need it because they need the time for rest to be just themselves, you know? Like, for me, that was what skating was. It was, like, I wanted to be the best I could be, but I needed it because... I needed that outlet of just something that was my own that I could relax and just not have to be the best. I could be a, hit my shit a million times and figure it out, you know? Like, it's different right, versions. Trying to be the best you could be. Yeah, yeah. Not, not like there was like, well, if I do all this, I'll get a pro model and make lots of money. Yeah, like a career like, path. 
dude, I really want to land this fucking half cab crippy grind. Yeah. You know, you'll beat yourself up until you do it. You know, that's, that's kind of like me too. I'd see somebody like how they skated a bowl and I'd be like, dude, I want to roll into that bowl. Like, you know, roll up to the edge like a hundred times before you actually did it. Or you're like, oh fuck, that was easy. You know, like. Slam or make. Slam or make. Like getting yourself to do things that you didn't think you could do. Yeah. It was, it was pretty rad. It still is rad. That's why when you were talking about Heath, I got kind of excited because I bet he was very driven by his visions of his video part. Because he always had yeah. epic video part. <laughs> yeah, the video part mapped out. Yeah. Like, not like, not like Heath Ledger, but like, like Heath Ledger did like so many tricks. He would be like, he, in his head, he would know the 12 tricks, if it was 12 tricks, you know, maybe two lines and 10 really fucking gnarly things. And that's what he would set out to do in like whatever time period, you know? Yeah, he, my friend Chris was, you remember Chris Trembley at all? Yeah. Yeah, he was kind of like that. He was very self-driven and had a vision and very focused and like, he was like... Did you have a photo in the, in the magazine doing like a, in a pool? Probably. I feel like a backsmith in like a pool or something maybe. Yeah. He used to ride for real. He was riding for real when Peter was on and Darrell. He was in seeing double for a little bit. He tore his, he ended up tore, tearing his ACL and like, so that kind of derailed him. But he was like that first wave with Peter and Darrell. It was, Chris was in there too. He did gap noseblind at Tampa across the pyramid before like people were really gapping across and stuff. But he was like, he reminded me of that. He just had that vision and drive and like his video parts. I always was like, that's so sick. It's the best. I think I met him with you guys and Nick Dumpier. Maybe. Mm-hmm. One yep. time Birdhouse. Yeah, that's it. He was hanging, he was living out there. He lived in our apartment when we were riding for Birdhouse. I think one of those times we went to that San Pedro rail. Yeah. I didn't skate it. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> yeah, that happens. A couple times. <laughs> I want to do this trick. No. Because, like, you went to that. Because uh, we went a lot of summer sessions, right? I can't feel bored to live that San Pedro rail, though. Just saying. I have the footage. <laughs> it's online. It's online. I remember. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, Sumner was well, like... I saw that rail recently with somebody. I was like, oh, I was here with Anthony Shetler once. <laughs> that's sick. <laughs> I think well, I was with Corey Glick, because he lives by there. Oh, that dude shreds. Foundation, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen his skating. I've never met him, but I've seen his skating. He shreds. No, there's a, there's a lot of, like, rad skaters that don't... I mean, they get credit from, again, the underground. Yeah. But when I think back to, like, the amount of money or the amount of praise that, you know, like people like Jamie Thomas and all those could get in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. You know, for how good they were, it's just skateboarding, you know? Yeah. Like I see these guys now, like Corey Glick or Cole Wilson, like there's just kind of a lot of them that kind of are lost in this uh, part of skateboarding where everybody's getting younger. Like everybody wants these little kids, right? I guess. You're in Southern California. Yeah. Um, or they want the fucking street leaguer, you know? Nobody's really looking for that, like, 23-year-old fucking kid from Chicago that just fucking rips. Yeah. Which is, like, guys like like Corey, you know? Uh, it's, well, I hope... He just does it, though. I hope, like, from an outside perspective, from outside Southern California, I hope that there's people, skateboarders, that are getting older... And they're like still want to do stuff in skateboarding. I hope they're joining together, gaining skills, and like learning how to like create a skateboard world 
that everyone can be a part of, you know, and figure out a way to monetize it too. That'd be amazing. Cause then we could all network together. Cause that's like what I try to do is like grow skateboarding so much that people are involved and we have awesome shit going on all the time. And there's ways to like keep it going and find the pennies to do it again and again and gain some momentum. And like, it's a lot of work, but like, I hope there's a lot yeah, of work. Yeah, that's funny. Like, one of the things I've, I've, you know, maybe it's the time, but, uh, you know, when the 80s turned to the 90s, and, like I said, skateboarders took over, it was rad to see all these, like, pro skaters like Lance and Tony, uh, Rick Howard, I mean, just different people that, like, were pro skaters or, like, young skaters that, like, invested whatever money they had and started a skateboard brand. Yeah. You know, you don't see that with, like, like, I don't know, like, maybe somebody like Chris Cole, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, who probably made quite a bit of money from skateboarding, like, like why wouldn't he just start his own skateboard company? Like, yeah. and kind of invest back into, like, core skating, you know? Not, so I'm not pinpointing him, like, oh, you should do that, but you don't see much of that. Like, yeah. where, I mean, I think the entry to get into, like, starting your own brand isn't that much. Like, you know? yeah. And you I, can do it yourself and kind of, like, write your own ticket. Well, I feel like... Like, like you know, like, how Jeremy's doing his own thing, Klein. Yeah, I feel like that's the way it's kind of going, is, like, to power, empower the individual, because that's, like, you look at Facebook and all these social medias and stuff, and it's becoming, like, a marketplace in that sense, because that's where all the content is, and the video, and the photos, and the, that's all our culture. We're, like, a digital thumbprint. It's, like, we're moving from VHS, DVD, to the internet, you know? So, like... I feel like more people just need to build up the hype and keep the history and the legacy and heritage going and find ways to move forward and work together, like, literally. And, like, to, if every individual knows how to do that, like, we could build up so many powerful individuals and we could all work together. Like, Jeremy's doing that. You just have to help the next, though. That's why it's the part, the important part is, like, you try to help the people behind you and get more people involved. Everyone loves skateboarding, you know? We just got to find ways to create jobs, I guess, but... We all have followings and everyone's connected. There's got to be a way, you know. It's a weird transitioning time. There's no more gatekeepers, really. It's just like the Wild West, you know. But what Jeremy's doing is sick, you know. It's so rad because you know he wants to do that and he's he has the skills to do it, you know. It's just sick. He's just transitioning to doing it. I don't know. Yeah, and like Dale and Abe, like with their things that they're doing, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of dudes that... Have Sorry. There's a lot of dudes, though, that I'm like... They get older, they get to, like, a certain age, and then they feel like they have to get the real job and put skating aside, you know? And they they could be valuable. Like, I tell dudes all the time, I'm like, you could do skateboard lessons. Like, it's not a bad thing to do. Like, sometimes it feels awkward to do it. You ever taught a skateboard lesson for money? Uh, I haven't, but I'm around a lot of people that do. Does it seem awkward? Is it is it awkward to you, the concept? This one guy is pretty awkward that doesn't. Yeah? Which one? He's kind of creepy. Well, he's kind of creepy looking. Nice. And, uh... <laughs> He's always like these little girls. I'm like, I wouldn't have my daughter with that guy. Oh, that's but then, <laughs> but then you got Mims, who I've you know does it all the time. Like, and he's yeah. rad. Yeah. Like, and, you know, I mean, that's funny because like Mims kind of reinvented himself, not that like in a grand scale throughout the world, but like you know, going from a pro skater to like this guy that's out giving skate lessons. You know, they having his own like skate park and kind of doing the kind of a lot of stuff that you're doing you know yeah which is rad you know i mean i think he was an olympic coach for the chinese team for a little while really yeah what? Like they hired him to teach their, their <laughs> hopefuls or whatever you know? 
it's, it's rad that, like, that that can actually happen, you know? Yeah, I like skateboard lessons because, like, to me, you're just turning people on to skateboarding safely. Like, I do private ones because, like, when it's a group, you can't really teach someone how to balance safely. <clears throat> right. Like, all I do is basically get them autonomous so they can push and roll and try to teach them, like, skateboarding's there for you no matter what. Like, you can, if you need a day off, take a day off. Slot, have some fun. Beach. It, actually, the lessons are for me because I learn way more hanging out with kids. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm an asshole. <laughs> but, but, like, it's sick because it's, like, a direct way to help. Like, if you wanted to be a pro skateboarder, it'd be cool if there's kids out there that want to learn to skate and you can just give them some tips so they don't take the gnarliest slam and get turned off from it. You know, yeah. but that takes responsibility and like you got to keep a schedule and <laughs> do that. You know, like some people say skateboarding ruins them. You know, to me, I've always thought skateboarding's made me better as a human. So I don't know. You know, skateboarding saved me. Yeah, hell yeah. For myself. <laughs> Fair enough. I agree, dude. I'd, I'd probably still be hanging out somewhere like, dude, I don't want to work a real job. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, going back to Neil, like it's rad because you know he does a skate camp, like where he takes. Like, he does the lessons, like, all that stuff, and then that turned into, like, doing these skate camps during, like, when schools are out, like, where he'd do travel camps, where he'd take these kids to all these, like, to the girl skateboards TF, you know, like, because he knew these people, and, like, they were, like, stoked, like, they'd pay, like, six or seven hundred bucks for a week, you know? Yeah, that's so sick. with ten kids. Yeah. The experience. So. Neil, Mim, Neil Mim's experience is pretty sick sounding. <laughs> He came on my show. He came on my show, man. Neil's amazing. He told me all about like stuff in the past with drinking and just the heights of the heights of skateboarding when he was in it. That was a really interesting show. It was funny, like when he was real bad. Like I, I shot a lot of photos with him, and I, I guess I was just kind of like retarded and didn't really notice yeah. people were wasted because <laughs> I never knew. I didn't smell it, you know. I drive him around. I drive him to spots, you know. I didn't start realizing it with him until. He would call me to go skate or shoot something, and then he wouldn't show up. I'd be like, what the fuck? And somebody would tell me, oh, dude, he's fucking wasted. I'm like, what? Really? Or he's on a cocaine bender or whatever, you know, whatever these people do. You're like, yeah. really? Skateboarding yeah. is that gnarly? It was and for some like, people. <laughs> yeah, like, and then, yeah, there's a lot of people that got pretty gnarly with shit. <laughs> and I was like, around and like, never really even saw it. Yeah, that's crazy. That's good. You never had any issues with drugs at all? With what? You ever have any, you've never had any substance abuse issues or anything? Like, you've always been kind of good about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, whatever. I, I was too, like, I didn't have money. Like, all my friends, not that I came from a poor family, but, like, my, you know, like, my dad grew up in the Depression, so... You know, when we were kids, like, it wasn't like, here's all this money, so I can do what you want. We lived in Southern California, and we had stuff, but, like, I couldn't just be like, hey, can I get some money? I don't want to work, you know, or whatever. Like, I had to work. I was the only kid that I knew that had to work. And when I was skating at Del Mar, like, all my friends, like, Todd, Swank, and Owen, those guys never seemed to have to have a job or work or do anything. Like, they had a car. I was sick. I had to pay for my car, like, every every month. And Must be nice to be them. <laughs> so buying weed, which was, or cocaine or whatever, like, was like, fuck, I'm not doing that. Like, yeah. buy a skateboard, I can buy gas, I can, you know, whatever. Like, I don't have enough money, and I don't want to work more to buy drugs. Like, it just seems stupid. You, like, you made the right choice. So, I mean, I did smoke pot. No. I still but do. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. Good. yeah. What do you got to I say? I did ask that the other day. <laughs> like, I, mean, I, got, I have nothing against it, but like, <laughs> when it came to like skating, I couldn't skate if I was if I had smoked weed. Like I yeah. just want to go to sleep. Like, <laughs> so that didn't help. And I was really like, fuck, I gotta skate all the time. So anytime I had free time or I wasn't working, I'd be skating or I'd be at my girlfriend's house. That was uh, it. I was the same way, dude. I started smoking weed later in life because I had vertigo for six months. And then Franklin was like, smoke some weed, you pussy. And I was like, okay. And it kind of just knocked it out and cleared up the vertigo. And then now I just smoke weed, like, casually. Not all the time. I take days off just to make sure I'm, like, not just abusing it, you know? Yeah, that's good. You can take days off. A lot of people can't. Yeah, coffee's the one that really messes me up. Because, like, vertigo, caffeine can trigger it. And I love caffeine. I love coffee. So that's more of, like, one I have to learn to balance and manage, you know? How'd you get vertigo? Um, I think I was in San Francisco and I just like, I was supposed to go to South America the next day on a world industries trip. My ticket was bought and everything. And then I just woke up and I couldn't stand up at all. Cause it felt like I was completely drunk and I just started throwing up and I couldn't for like two weeks, I couldn't get off the couch at Franklin's house. And, uh, I think I just got, it, it was like a viral infection from just dirtiness or something, you know? It just came on super quick. But I also drank shit ton of coffee because my homie Vince, oh, shout out to Vince Duran. He was working at, I think, Pete's Coffee in SF, and he gave us all these free coffee coupons. And they were, like, for espresso shots and stuff, and I didn't really – I'm just like, whatever. I'd taken, like, a bunch of that and just drinking them all day long, and I was in SF. So it could have been caffeine. I don't know. But they said it was a viral infection in my ear because I guess there's, like, positional vertigo where you can, like, do these exercises, but it never helped. They gave me steroids. It was gnarly. It was a really gnarly time. And I was getting paid to just skateboard. World Industries is my lifeline to make money. And I, I literally couldn't skate for six months. And it's like in your contract. If you're not skating after six months, they have the right to like cut your livelihood, you know? So like, yeah, they were good to me. Like Charlie and RP, RP were always good to me and honest. And like, they just let, they helped me out till they couldn't anymore, you know? Like it wasn't because of the vertigo. It was just the recession, you know? The business just shrank and... But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, dude, yeah. weed nipped it in the bud. I think if I started smoking weed earlier, it would have hurt me. But since it was just at the end of the vertigo, it was like six months and it was still lingering. I still had headaches and light would hurt my eyes. Like, and, uh, I just smoked some weed and it was like, oh, clear lens all of a sudden, basically. It was amazing. So was it just like, you just picked any weed? Yeah, Franklin, whatever he gave me, I don't even, I still. Well, it's, fun, it's funny nowadays, like how, like, there's all these different weeds. Yeah, there's like sativas and indicas and <laughs> upper downers. Like, what? You gotta think about this shit. Some dude, like, I went and uh, I sold the Chris Markovich print to somebody. Sick. Like, they DM me for this print, and I went, I'm like, oh, come over, I'll deliver it to you. Like, it was just an ocean side. And I roll up to the dude's place, and he's like, hey, all right, cool, thanks. And I'm like, what do you do? Like, I was in his house, like, I'm like, trying to figure out what this guy does. Like, why? He goes, oh, I sell, like, boutique weed and blah, blah, blah. Here, you want some? And I'm like, all right. So he gave me, like, a little bag, and then, like, I think I went home later, and I smoked some. I was trying to go to sleep, but I would just, like, smoke weed and go to sleep, listen to music and go to sleep. And I swear, I got to this point where I couldn't swallow. I'm like, and I, get, and I kept thinking about it, it kept getting worse and worse. To Too long. Dude, I was going to have a fucking panic attack. <laughs> And I told him, and I talked to somebody else about it, and he's like, well, what kind of weed was it? And I was like, what do you mean, what kind of weed was it? Yeah, it smelled good. <laughs> I was like, 
well, there's different kinds, and you can this kind, so this kind. I was like, fuck. Weed sounds crazy these days. Like, like we didn't have to worry about that shit for us Yeah, especially in Southern California, it's crazy, and you're you're getting it from Super Dealer. Fucking. <laughs> like, yeah, I got some weird boutique like strain that he was fucking. I don't know. I didn't yeah, I'm. I'm not the rest of it. Yeah. I'm nervous, because, like, I, I OD on that stuff easy. My friend came back one time, he moved back from California, and he gave me, like, a, I want to say it was a hash oil pill or something, concentrated weed, maybe, Cause I, and uh, I took it, and I was down for the whole day, dude. I was in a spiral of hell. I literally, like, I took a shower, I stumbled to the shower, because I was like, maybe this will help me, like, find out what gravity is again, and get my center. Took a shower, got out of the shower, I was like, nope, I'm still spinning, I'm still too high, having anxiety like you were saying, and uh, I just went into my big room, basically naked, dude, and just like laid down for the whole day in my big room, and my lady and my friend kept coming in, and I was just in there like, I'd throw up once in a while, and then I would just lay back down in a spiral, or I'm like, I can't get out of this hole right now, I'm trying to get out, like, finally fell asleep, yeah, finally. Yeah, it was a bad day. And then after that, I was like, I gotta be really careful in my tolerance, because, like, it's too gnarly. Especially with edibles. Edibles are fucking crazy nowadays. I had a little edible adventure the other day. Nice. Where, did you go off and into the world? <laughs> nice. How'd that happen? Um, just in San Francisco, like, staying at somebody's house. And, I don't know, we did this hike, and then got back from the hike, and I was super tired. You know, so I had a nap, and I woke up from the nap before anybody else, and I was like, Looking in the refrigerator for something to eat, like, nah, let's see to eat. And it was like this tin of, uh, chocolate espresso beans. I'm like, oh, sick. Have a couple, oh, have a couple more. So I had like six. And, like, didn't think about it, like, come down, and we went downtown in San Francisco, like, went down to meet somebody else. Get down there, and like, fuck, dude, I feel super high right now. This is weird, and I didn't want to say anything about it, because I'm like, dude, maybe I'm fucking sick, or, getting, or something crazy is going on, so I'll just fucking sit down for a little bit, but, like, we're, like, I was like, dude, I feel super high. <laughs> and then, uh, whatever, don't think about it, go to this dinner at this other people's house, for there for a while, and I'm still feeling high. Go, so the next day, we're I'm talking with my, it's my niece's apartment that we were at, right? So the next day, we're talking about something, oh, I drank some of their espresso pods. You know, like her roommate's espresso pods. Like, oh, don't drink any more of those because, uh, you know, they're theirs and whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, maybe I'll just eat some more of those espresso beans. Because they were theirs too. And she's like, oh, those aren't just espresso beans. Those are marijuana espresso beans. I'm like, oh, that's why. This is funny. Like, that, that actually happened. Like, Alright, cool. Dude, it happens. I've had, one time I was driving a truck, like a big truck, and I took, I somehow got an edible and took it, and then I ended up having to drive a truck, and I was just super high, and it was such a bad idea. I just freaked out the whole day. I made it all happen, you know, I drove super slow and shit, but that happens sometimes. That's life for you. (laughs) Yeah, I rolled with it. Made it through. We're here today. Nice. Dave, you're one of my favorites, dude. I'm hyped we gotta catch up. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. It means a lot that you come on the show, man. And I, like, you helped me out in the beginning and shot photos with me. And it's always been cool to me. And you're, like, a real person. So it means a lot. So I'm hyped to be able to do this again. Must be that East Coast thing, right? I feel like you're from out here, kind of. So you, you got lineage. So. Good old I need.
Bye.